Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. All right, all right. Welcome back, everyone. Another episode of A Little More Good coming at you with Dean and Zach. Hey, what's up, friends? How's everyone? Hope you're all good. We're doing good. Everyone doing good. Yeah, we're all here. I hope you're all staying well, staying healthy, staying happy. Yeah. You know, all the things. We got another one for you guys this week. Here it comes. That, uh, you know, will hopefully contribute to staying well, staying happy, staying balanced, all those things. A longtime friend, like many of our podcast guests, uh, Steve Real. Yeah. Steve Real in the house. Uh, we went through all sorts of things, human evolution, psychedelics, God experience, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of plant medicine talk and what the evolution of, of, of that human experience is, um, enhancing versus escaping, numbing versus elevating the human experience. Um, it's an interesting one. Like, I think we've been talking to a lot of people that we uh, look up to or that are, you know, living life in a way that we that we admire and there's been one of the consistent themes is has been some sort of relationship with plant medicine mm-hmm. um steve being one of those uh which started first as a personal journey out of curiosity and and being a lifelong seeker to the point of now you know facilitating and, and leading his own plant medicine retreats and workshops and experiences. Right. And in tandem with some of the other things like that we've talked about and focused on is like the, the kind of inner work, right? The spiritual dimension of healing, Mm -hmm. healing ourselves or moving into spaces of like being kind of the better or best version currently of ourselves through things like breath work and meditation and Mm -hmm. movement. And so Steve facilitates like kind of a whole experience mm-hmm. that is working to help us like let go to kind of find ourselves. What well, one of one of the themes that this parallels with is uh possibility and uh the idea of uh you know it's impossible until it's not yeah to quote the, the great Diener Morris here. <laughs> And I think for myself and in my own experiences, plant medicine has shown me what's possible, but it doesn't need to be the the path you take to get to that destination, I think. Right. Breath work, meditation, um, movement, um, cold water therapy, 
Uh, there's all sorts of ways of getting there. Right. But I think plant medicine is is a way to open your eyes to possibility um, what we can um, – what the human experience can include or, or encapsulate. Yeah. And I think people like for centuries have been trying, well, probably for as long as there's been people who've been able to wonder about like, what is all this? Mm-hmm. Right. And have wanted to explore and know more about their own experience and this, like our collective experience, but we've longed for that. And I mean, there's been different kind of scaffolds that we've put around to try and access this like deeper knowing Right? Enlightenment, Nirvana, Shambhala, totally. Shangri-La, you know, yeah. heaven. We, yeah. You know, we put so many words on on this kind of state of consciousness. Right. Um, and then the, the ways to get there. Yes. Meditate this way, perform this solitude retreat or pray these prayers or attend this, you know, institution to get this understanding or whatever it might be. Like we've long been searchers for this kind of yeah. like uh seeking far and wide yeah for better knowledge for self and for kind of why you know why mm-hmm. w- what is our purpose why are we here um you know what is possible yeah how are we all connected kind of some of the big questions and yeah and usually those answers are within and we can tap into those through you know various modalities like we've mentioned mm mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, plant medicine, psychedelics can kind of open up possibility. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I should give this, you know, do your own research. Yeah. Don't, don't come across this lightly. Like don't just take a psychedelic or plant medicine without your, your own research and your own journey. Um, but I think it does open up possibility to yeah. what we can achieve as humans. Well, and Steve even talks about it on the podcast, uh, it, like the idea of setting the experience, mm-hmm. right? And making sure that there's like the Surre- right sur- surroundings. Surrounding, surrender. Mm-hmm. You know, if you are battling an experience, if you've taken plant medicine or a psychedelic and you want to be sober, uh, for lack of better words, or not under the influence of of another substance, so it's going to be a battle. You have to surrender to the experience. Yeah. Well, and that's like uh, just recently he posted a quote on his Instagram, and because I think a lot of what uh, any any type of like psychedelic or even just like ritual or routine or breath work, anything that helps someone kind of let go or get over some of the 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 bumps in their life that maybe is keeping them from that work right so so these things are tools to help us like let go of those things momentarily but in letting go there is that there is that sense of like it can be fearful of course even the things that we dislike in our lives like to let go of those is a is a a willful act of surrender and that's that's a lot Mm -hmm. to do like that's a courageous act is to say i'm gonna like let go and do this breathwork experience or I'm going to let go and have this like, you know, 10 day silent retreat where I'm kind of alone with myself and my thoughts. Like those are all things or it might be like, okay, I'm going to have this experience with, with this like uh, psychedelic or this like type of plant medicine and it's going to help me. Mm-hmm. But in that act, there's surrender. And he has this quote, it says, the more we let go of ourselves, of our past and future, the more we discover who we truly are. 
And I mean, I think that 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 resonates. Like that's what we all want. We want to kind of have this full understanding and picture of ourselves. And like you had said at the outset, there's different modalities. There's different ways for us to get there. And we go into some of them on this yeah. one. Some of the very interesting ones. Yeah, good Steve Rio quotes. I always like his oh, quotes. He's got on some his good IG. quotes, doesn't he? Ooh. Oh, this is good. I like actually like this one. Nothing is getting in the way of your life. It's all your life. Pay attention. Those are good. I just like being present, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, here's one too. Man, see, this is all this is the kind of this kind of wisdom Steve, you've signed Steve up Rio, for. Steve Rio, everyone. <laughs> What's his IG so everyone can follow? Steve Rio. There you go. Yeah. R I O. R I O. Yes, yes, yes. So even in the vein of what we were just talking about, transformation requires bravery. Bravery requires vulnerability. Vulnerability requires surrender. Love it. That's good. That is good. Your random random idea here. Okay. Should I sh- have I shared my own experience with ayahuasca on the podcast before? I'm trying to think back if you have. I know that you've talked about. I've mentioned it briefly. Should I share the story? Sure. It's an old story. So Let's it's probably it. like any old story. There's probably some truths and some fictions. Yeah, yeah. So take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> um, okay, so taking us back to, gosh, I was like 20, 20 years old or 21. I went on a backpacking trip uh, through South America with my cousin Joe, and um, you know we were just on a bit of our own spiritual journey at the time. You know, combining like uh, partying like a twenty-one-year-old and (laughs) and also seeking a spiritual experience. Like you know, we were reading Celestine Prophecy and the Way of the Peaceful Warrior, and uh, you know, what else were we reading? Eckhart Tolle and. Carlos Castaneda and Timothy Leary and all those books and we're just kind of like seekers at this time so mm. very open to to possibility and just like kind of had a, a yes attitude to what the universe was throwing our way so we're at a farmer's market in uh, just outside of Cusco in Peru at this time and we kind of backpacked through Brazil and Argentina and, and Chile and Bolivia and we're in uh Peru and Cusco by the Sacred Valley. All sounds divine, right? Yeah. And we're at a farmer's market, and and there's this man giving uh, tea leaf readings. And we're like, oh, that's cool. Let's see what he has to say. Yeah. And he was selling, like, jams and, uh, you know, all sorts of, you know, kind of new age sort of stuff. And uh, so we did a tea leaf reading, and we just got chatting with the guy, and he shared with us that he was, like, fourth-generation shaman and... He leads these kind of retreats out of his farm, and uh, we kind of wanted to explore ayahuasca. I didn't know that much about it. It was just like my cousin Joe was was quite into it, and uh, so we said yes, and we went to his farm. He had this like amazing like kind of mud hut in the middle of his farm with like an opening so you could see the sky and everything through it. So we stayed with him for like a day before we went into ceremony and his his five-year-old daughter was like leading meditations and she seemed like some like divine reincarnation. And, uh, we hadn't like committed to the the ceremony yet. We, we just wanted to like first experience kind of the lifestyle and, and kind of what he was sharing before we fully committed to anything. So we're, we're there and we had a couple of experiences. One, his daughter leading meditation, five-year-old daughter. It was yeah. just like, who is this 
this being. That's crazy. And then two, this is going to sound like totally woo-woo, uh, but he was telling me in my tea leaf reading that I needed to connect more with nature and I needed to be more open to listening to nature. And, mm. you know, I was like, oh, you know, I always talk to the trees and total tree hugger and all that. And he's like, no, you need to, like, have real conversations with them. And I was like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll try. And so when we got back to his farm, he's like, well, I'll give you an example because sometimes it's easier to to see so you understand what's possible. And uh, so he had two dogs, and he asked me and my cousin to whisper into our ears where we wanted his dogs to, to go sit. So I whispered into his ear for one dog to go sit somewhere, and my cousin whispered into his ear for his dog to go sit somewhere else. And he goes and he looks at his both of his dogs, and they go and sit exactly where we whispered into his ear. Come on. Just by looking at that. What? And we're like, okay, let's go. This guy is a magic man. He's some sort of, you know, he's a shaman. That's crazy, But though. he's connected in the way that he was, you know, he's telling me that you can communicate with animals in nature, and he looks at his dogs and shows me that it is possible. Wow. So me and my cousin Joe are at that point. It's just like MJ just hit the big three pointer. Like we're going, we're going wild. Yeah, because we just saw the best party trick. Um, and then when we were doing the meditation with his daughter, after he was talking about how like our limiting beliefs in the Western world and how he, you know, tells his daughter she can walk on water, but she also teaches he also teaches her how to swim. Mm-hmm. And I that's always like stuck with me that quote. That's that's great. Um, just just kind of fully captured how we limit what's possible from the get-go and how much that holds us back from even trying things. Mm. So, I mean, I'm already getting long-winded here, but um, ceremony comes and, uh, you know, he's in his, we're in this this kind of mud hut, my cousin, myself, and and the shaman, and uh, we drink the ayahuasca tea and... uh, kind of tastes very earthy and you know not that not not all that appealing but uh knock it back and it kind of takes 45 minutes or so for it to fully kick in and he's playing some music and singing and chanting and then uh after about 45 minutes or so i i I felt myself leave my body okay i like left my body and i was at top of the hut looking down at myself and i was like oh okay it's happening (laughs) it's kicked in (laughs) fully conscious looking at myself and basically long story short i went through after that i kind of went so when you do ayahuasca they say you have to kind of face your demons before you experience any sort of bliss or enlightenment or any any sort of lightness and Mm -hmm. so i went back into my body and i kind of became it's almost like you're not living you're just observing you're like this like this being that's not attached to your body you're not like dead or alive or anything like that and i went through i saw like the 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 big boom of the creation of the universe and i was just like part of that universe um i apologize to everybody for sharing the story (laughs) because it's long-winded and no it's lots of woo-ness but uh it's good um so from there i kind of went through the evolution of the human existence uh, through the perspective of, of evil. So oh. I was like the Neanderthals destroying the Cro-Magnums and I was like, just went through war, like, and I was the evil side of war. Oh, man. And then I like became, like, I'm, for context, I'm part Jewish um, 
And at one point I became a Nazi and I was like chasing all these Jewish people laughing. And then from there I like basically fell into hell and all these like these demonic characters were chasing me and trying to eat me. And I was so scared and I was like screaming and like truthfully trying to like bite myself, my physical self to like feel some sort of like, like connection to like (laughs) the, the, you know, the, conscious plane uh but eventually i was being chased and and by these demons of sorts these satanic characters and i started laughing hysterically like out loud yeah uh like physically laughing and um at that point i uh was no longer scared i just like was laughing hysterically and once i was was no longer scared i went into a like a bliss state i went Hmm. to like was like astro traveling going from you know back home to bc in the mountains pender island where my family always goes yeah and was just like going from you know mountain to mountain lake to lake and just like laughing at the bliss of it and um you know this is over like i'd probably say like seven eight nine hour kind of time frame and that's kind of like where i kind of came back into my body and consciousness but a few kind of interesting tidbits along the way when you take ayahuasca, you purge it at some point, uh, you know, from, from one end or the other. And um, I was, you know, in my body feeling fine before I kind of, like, went to the depths of hell. Yeah. And my cousin passes over a bucket to me, and he's like, here you go. You need this, like, right now. And I'm like, oh, I'm fine. Thanks. And he's like, no, you need it. And as he, like, said that, the the, the shaman was, like, playing his music and singing, and I felt him, like, pulling the basically you throw up or or shit yourself oh, shit yeah. <laughs> go to the bathroom yeah. hopefully hopefully yeah. you make it to the bathroom um so i started throwing up but it was like the shaman was like pulling out it from me like this toxic waste i felt him like kind of through his music was was kind of pulling it all out of me and my cousin just passed me the bucket like you know seconds before like this happened knew. like he yeah. knew and the other interesting thing when you talk to my cousin joe hmm. um Partway through this, I saw him get out of his body. His physical body was still lying there, but I saw him get up and walk out of the hut and walk into the forest just outside of the farm and kind of leave. Yeah. And if you ask him what his experience was like, he talks about how he left the hut and went for this walk, but his body was there the whole time. He never left. And you saw him. I saw him leave. And when you talk to him about his experience, he's like, yeah, I got up. I went for a walk into the forest and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he was was there the whole time. Yeah. So, and then when I finally came to, you know, I think I, I, I mentioned this on one of our podcasts, but I was like, oh, Joe, man, hell was so scary. That was so crazy. And he laughs at me and he's like, you went to hell? And I was like, yeah, where'd you go? And he's like, I was just blissed out the whole time, man. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> you, yeah. you didn't go to hell? And he just had this like blissful experience of like, you know, yeah. traveling nature and being with his family and like wow. all these incredible things. Yeah. So th- there we go. That <laughs> was that was my, and then the, the shaman invited us to stay for three more days of ayahuasca after that. But we were kind of young and uh, I felt like that was like a heavy experience that I needed to sit with for a while. Yeah. Uh, and I did feel like a huge weight off my shoulders after. Like it was mm. like subconsciously felt like uh, I had, you know, cleansed some internal demons uh, of sorts and felt lighter afterwards. 
Uh, but we didn't, we just did the one day and went back on our, our adventures. And, you know, I wish I had got the, the shaman's email or something like that. Yeah. So I could have stayed in touch, but, uh, it was kind of, that was our experience. And then we went on with our adventures. Wow. That's crazy. And I haven't done anything like that since. So it's yeah. been, a, it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. 21, you said? Or 20? Yeah. I was t- I, during the trip, I was 20 when I left and 21 when I came back. So I can't, I was one of those. Yeah. One of those ages when I, when I did this. Yeah. Hmm. That's crazy. That's a crazy story. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. And just like that, that experience and how it kind of revealed those things like in you, whether they were things that were like, yeah, fears or things you had held on to, but yeah. to, to like see it and kind of like confront it in that way. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, and I was at a bit of like a transitional state in my life, like, you know, breakup, you know, your first big breakup and that weighs on you heavily and trying to figure out what to do after university or like even in university, I had all these kind of like 20-year-old dilemmas, anxieties, (laughs) you know, and I felt like at the end of that, I just had like, there was no weight of any of that on my shoulders anymore. Mm. I could just be. Yeah. Surrendered. Just surrendered. And I think that was what it was trying to teach me. Once I like let go to my fears, I was able to experience some sort of bliss state. But yeah. as I was hanging on, I was like experiencing like this The worst. The worst of humanity. Yeah. And I'm sure there's many other lessons that if I like dug into it that I could could find. Hmm. But it was cool. Hmm. Uh, now that I'm you know, what, fifteen, sixteen years later. I'd totally be interested and open to trying something like this again and seeing what the experience was like. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Dina? Would you be open to something like this? I don't know. It's something something that uh like we've we've had around, like we've talked to lots of people about it and I'm definitely interested. Yeah. I'm just like still I have that and we talk about it a little bit with Steve and, and others, it's like there's that stigma, you know? Yeah. And the concern, like a kid of the eighties and nineties where it's like you know, because we grew drugs. up during the war on drugs, yeah, man. yeah, yeah. And like drugs are bad, and yeah. this, this kind of, this kind of like uh, openness, and this leads to bad things, and will make you have, you know, whatever, like mental health problems or yeah. issues. And so there's like, for me, admittedly, there's still like fear around course, it. Yeah. And so I don't know. Like, I'd never say never because like growth mindset, right? You always yeah. want to lead and and have experiences, but. At this point, like, I feel like um, I'm more intrigued in, like, uh, accessing that awareness or that state through, like, just if I can do it myself. Right. Which is, I don't know, like, I don't know, maybe that's an ego thing. Maybe that's, like, yeah. Well, I think it's possible. I mean, I've I've reached, like, such flow states through running. Yeah. Or going for cold ocean swims right where i'm like hot my body is vibrating or of like i went to like the wim hof workshop years ago when he was here and we did some of his breath work exercises yeah. which i haven't done since i don't yeah. know why but i felt like i was having like a full psychedelic hallucination experience from breath like my whole body right was vibrating i could feel like my fingertips and like I could feel my body in a way that I've never felt it, yeah. whether I'm using plant medicine or not. I've never felt this way from breath work. So I, like, I know it's very possible, especially if you're seeking it with intention. Yeah. 
I think like you can fast track it. If you take this plant medicine, you're there. Yeah. But it's I, maybe, yeah, it's maybe like the easier, the, yes. quick, the quick access. But I think breath work, cold water, immersion, yeah. running, um, like mantras, meditation, like mm-hmm. there's endless possibilities of how to get there. To achieve it, yeah. And it'd be fun to like navigate and explore or even like combine different modalities together to see well, where that takes it. you. That's just it, right? Is, is, is there a way where you can kind of like bring it all together yes. in some ways? And I mean, again, you know, Steve talks about that and that's, I think, something that he facilitates and they're yeah. so definitely very interested in that. And I mean, what he describes yes. honestly in the podcast with, with the specific medicine that they use, like I was kind of left wondering like, well, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to do that? Yeah. Like, who wouldn't want to experience that? Yes. So I don't know. Maybe well for and for you, like listener, dear listener, yeah, dear like listener, what do you think? Maybe you're intrigued, and you know, as even as Zach had said, like obviously with anything like this, we want to you know, any kind of like health advice of whether it's like, hey, take this supplement or try try this kind of like different plant medicine. Do your own research and be informed, but like allow allow curiosity to lead, and and maybe it's something that you'd be want to learn more about and someone like Steve uh who you know leads these things through what he has it's called the Infold Institute and you can find them online um might be something that you're interested in pursuing but there we go well yeah. should we uh let it roll to Steve Rio and uh you know he can take us on on the journey from there let's do it all right Steve Rio everyone all right here with Mr. Born ready. Yeah, man. <laughs> Steve Rio. Thanks for coming. Yeah, nice to see you coming guys. down yeah. to our, our corner of the world to, to hang out and chat. And yeah, man. We're excited. It's been a while since I've seen you. I and I, I, you and I had one conversation that I was really excited by, but that was like three years ago. It was like four uh, yeah. years ago. I know. It was a while ago. I said to Zach, I was like, was that like a year and a half ago? <laughs> and then he's like, no, that was before. Easily and I, three years ago. Yeah. Because yeah, I was in one of our old workspaces that we don't have anymore that was like, we got rid of two years ago. So yeah. it was probably somewhere around three years ago, yeah. but equally. I've thought was, about the conversation, thought about you. So yeah, to be here. it was there a good go. one. Glad to reconnect. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. Bringing the circle together. And I was saying to Steve before we started that, um, you know, you've got a podcast as well. And it was uh, one of the podcasts that I drew inspiration from and in wanting to create this. Uh, so hopefully your podcast will, will get going again so that yeah. I can, Get re-inspired. I know. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I need re-inspiration, and I hopefully inspired him, and now it'll inspire me. And yeah, that's just the universe conspiring for us. So then we right. just be steady rolling together. Yeah, to infinity and beyond. <laughs> I've got I've got two boys, so Buzz Lightyear is a big guy. In okay, my house, so I might. Uh, you might be dropping a lot of I, Buzz Lightyear. I might be dropping lots of Pixar Disney lines. There you go. It's just, uh, but it of, is part of my bubble. It is a good line. Yes. Right. And maybe maybe suitable, fitting for parts of the conversation we'll even have today. Right, <laughs> to infinity and beyond. The theme of this conversation. It's actually that is a pretty good theme for this conversation potentially. <laughs> so I thought a fun place to start. I think like all conversations, we're going to go all over the place, especially yeah. with someone like yourself that's got uh, you know a broad uh, sense of knowledge and experience and, and vision. But um, you know, one of the stories that you shared when we first met uh, that I really loved because I think it spoke to your sense of adventure and, um, you know, Steve the Seeker and, um, you know, just your your willingness to, to go. Uh, you shared an adventure where you uh, 
without too much planning, rode a mountain bike from, from BC to Mexico. Yeah. I thought maybe you could share that story with us. Yeah, and I'm just looking at the sticker on your computer. It says, ride bikes, have fun, feel good. Yeah, um, perfect. But to be honest, the trip didn't really start with that vibe. Uh, <laughs> I So how old was I? I think I was... Uh, I think I was 27 and uh yeah I would have been 27 and mm-hmm. I felt like I'd actually kind of hit a dead end like I hit a dead end in my life it was like one of it was like an ego death time where my music career was ending and uh and um I was in a bunch of debt from some stuff I'd done and I'd gotten into a bunch of debt and uh and I hadn't told anybody about the debt so I was like hiding this this debt that I was in which was like the hardest part um so I was like working really hard but I was just paying down this loan and paying down my credit card all the time and like constantly broke. And, uh, I gotten out of a really tough relationship, a relationship that was like really transformative in one way. And, and I'm, I really cherish it in one way, but also it was just a really confusing, hard, constantly ending and restarting kind of relationship, you know? And, uh, I just like, it was actually the only time I believe that I, went back and lived with my parents for like a month at 27 because I had moved out when I was 18 and uh I was like living in this basement and I was broke and I was working my ass off to just pay down debt and I didn't really have a lot of friends at the time like just everything just felt like really tight you know and um and like I just I had to get out of here but I had no money like I was like and somehow I got I think because I had read uh like on the road and some of those like classic kind of hippie like hitchhiking books and stuff like that and my dad had biked to i knew my dad had biked to a soyuz once and so he was into like longer distance biking so somehow i got in my head like oh i can just bike somewhere and like literally didn't know anything about biking i like was not yeah it was crazy i i all the only bike i had is my my mountain bike from high school like that i had since i was 14 i can picture those bikes you know it was like a a used bike we bought it like out of a whistler rental shop yeah it was like some kind of rock it was a rock hopper like something you know what i mean like just a very it was a fine height mountain bike it was just a very simple bike yes (laughs) and uh yeah like i just said you know originally i thought i'm gonna bike to la i don't know why la i think it was just it didn't really matter at that time like i was in a pretty like depressed place when I when I started thinking about that trip so it was almost like I don't know where I'm going I'm just leaving here you know that kind of energy and then I decided I I wanted to go to Mexico um but the trip like kind of quickly evolved into this really sort of magical thing like I I started planning it and then I had a friend um tell me about this thing uh couchsurfing.com which was just getting going at the time and it was like a thing you could stay with people for free. It was kind of like a lot of people don't even know about it. It's like Airbnb, but for free, like to actually sort of crash with people. But it was hardly evolved in the States. Like, yeah. so I think I found somebody in San Francisco and I found somebody in Portland. But that, And I had a friend in L.A. that I was going to stay with, but that was it. So none of the small towns had anybody there. But MySpace was around at that time. That's how old this story is and how old I am. Holy shit. Um, and... uh and I had this tool because I played in bands at the time that you could basically spam people when you were on tour. So you could use zip codes to send messages to people on MySpace because it was really like an open platform. And I sent, like I basically wrote this message. I put a video on YouTube. YouTube had come out that year or the year before. So oh, wow. YouTube was pretty new. And so I recorded a video of myself and said like, hey, like I'm going on this spiritual journey. And I don't know what I said. I probably said a bunch of other things. And I put a video on YouTube and then I and then I messaged 50 people 
in each zip code of all these towns just randomly just just spam the spam the west coast <laughs> <laughs> I love it. yeah it was so random and this was literally like a week before i was supposed to go because i had been basically planning to tent the whole way i was just gonna pack my bike up with a tent and all the stuff and just roll like that and um yeah one night i hit send and i woke up the next morning and there was like 500 messages in my inbox wow like just people like the whole way just writing me back yeah what a crazy story like love what you're doing come stay with me. And people were just writing their address and their phone numbers into the email and just saying, come stay with me. And it was, it was like, for me, I had felt so isolated at that point. And I, like part of the reason I was escaping was like, I didn't have anybody to really turn to here. You know, I felt like I, through my relationship, a lot of my friendships had, I don't know, I just lost myself, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and suddenly there was, 500 people in my inbox saying, come, come, come say hi, like, and come, come stay with me. And it felt like the universe just opened the doors, you know, and saying, Hey, we do want you here. Like we do, we do want, you know? Um, and so like, I just furiously tried to write people back and put together a plan because this was days before the trip. And my dad was like, you should really learn how to fix a tire and you should really. And so I was trying to learn how to do that. I did like one practice ride. Oh my I, gosh. I, I biked to, out to Horseshoe Bay and back, and I almost died. Like, it was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't, that didn't uh, stop you. No, I was, on, I was on a roll. I had committed to 500 people <laughs> that I was going to come see them. They are expecting you. <laughs> no, but, uh, man, it was just, and then I left, and then I just, yeah, then I just left. And the first couple days were really tough because I really didn't have, like, the muscles for biking like that. Um, the second day in particular, I biked the first day I biked to Deming, which is kind of on the Mount Baker highway up the kind of outside of Bellingham. And, and that was a hard ride. Like that was long enough. But then the second day I thought I could get all the way to Seattle. Cause I hadn't really figured out how to do the math yet on a map. And, and this is before like iPhones had Google maps and all there was that no stuff. iPhones. So you're, you're, the, yeah. The iPhone came out the, in, I think the next year there was no iPhones. Yeah. Yeah. Like I actually literally carried a small laptop that my dad gave me. To, to borrow and so that I could have get online where there was Wi-Fi kind of thing, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and I had paper maps. Yeah. Yeah, no, I had paper maps. Like, yeah, it was, it was pretty hilarious. So <clears throat> the second day I was going from there down to Seattle and that was like way too far. Yeah, it's a long That's a long ride. Especially my bike was like at that point about 100 pounds. I dumped a whole bunch of weight off my bike, but I had like panniers on, like bags on the front and the back and all this stuff and it was insane. Like I got my legs got so uh, locked up on that second day that I had to lie on the side of the road. Oh my because, god! And and I'd be lying. I was lying down, and my legs felt like I was like pressing like a thousand pounds or something. Oh. They were completely locked up, and so I ended up like hitching that last few kilometers in some guy's pickup truck. And he said that a crow had told him that he would pick somebody up today. He'd seen a crow. It was like the trip just started getting weird right away and yeah. awesome right away. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and but honestly, after that, like I learned how to just shift down a little bit and pedal a little easier. And I just started getting into the flow and 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 started staying with all these different people. And and just the energy was just building. And it was just a beautiful, a really beautiful trip. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it was wild. Are there any like standout stories like the the guy with the crow? Like the people you stayed with or met along the way? Yeah, man. Like, so at first I was picking people that felt like I would get, you know, and, but it was honestly, there was, it was such a short amount of time before I was going to leave. I really actually think it was like two or three days when I sent that message and got all these things. It was like a very short amount of time. I just remember kind of scrambling to lock in places to stay, you know? Yeah. Um, and so at first I was trying to pick people that felt like safe or whatever. And then I started kind of seeing people that I'm like, 
well, how is this person messaging me? What, you know, why is this person reaching out to me? This is an interesting one. So I would start picking some people that were more unique. Um, and I stayed with this one guy. Um, the one guy that like a couple of people really stand out. One guy I ended, I, I landed in Lincoln City, uh, which is like on the coast of Oregon. It's like this small, small town. And I basically cut out from Portland. And that was the only day. So this trip was pretty wild. This was like right in April, April, May. And the coast, if you know the Oregon coast, like it should be raining every day. It didn't rain once on this whole trip, except for this one day that I'm telling you about right now. But no rain, no fog either. Like it was basically clear days That's crazy. For, for this whole this whole month basically wow. that I was riding. But this one day it rained. It was like pouring rain. I got hit by a car that day. I got two flat tires that day. It was just like a nasty ride out there. Yeah. Um I didn't get I, I got knocked over, but I my bike was fine. I was fine. Um and that was the other day that I hitched and I got I got pulled in on this pickup truck and it was like in the back of this pickup truck and it's just pouring rain. And I get to the city and it's after dark because it had been delayed multiple times. And I and the only um, place I could find Wi-Fi, because everything was closed. Now Wi-Fi is everywhere. At that time, there wasn't that much Wi-Fi. Yeah. Like, it was, you put it on like the outside of your building if you had Wi-Fi. Like, it, was like, it was a big deal. Yeah, 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 deal. right? Like, yeah. Wi-Fi here. So the, know, only like... thi- the only thing that was open in this little town was this little um, like sex shop, like a sex store, like, a, um, yeah. like uh, sex toys and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. It was a sex toy, and you guys are like this a vegan cafe. We're a combo. Yeah, dude. We're it was, a, and they had Wi-Fi. It was a vegan cafe and a sex and a sex toy store in the front, and a vegan kind of cafe bar in the back. <laughs> yeah, it's a missing marketplace dude, here, dude. Dude. New business. Model oh, and the, the third truck. and the third thing that the owner, yeah, dude, juice truck pivot time. Evolution. Yeah, and the third thing that the the woman who owned this thing owned, and it was right outside, was this little mobile. Uh, chapel which was like uh, oh my God. this like pink it was like a pickup truck and she had built this pink it almost looked like a giant classic doghouse shape you know yeah, yeah. it was like pink and like bright pink like uh, candy pink and she'd roll around do weddings in this thing I guess <laughs> so anyway this is where I roll she's up she's a business mogul dude she was she <laughs> you was you need something to keep your marriage spicy <laughs> yo diversified <laughs> yeah and um, so, so so we I, I roll in there I'm soaked and I started talking to the people and there, there's a couple of people just hanging at the bar with their friend and it was like kind of just dead, um, but we're just hanging out and they're really nice. And I'm like, just trying to dry out and get on the Wi-Fi, open the, open the thing. And there's no, I didn't have a person for Lincoln. So I was like, Oh, so I started digging through email and I realized this one guy had emailed me and I asked him, I'm like, do you guys happen to know this name? And they're like, Oh yeah. And they gave me this look like, Oh shit. You know, <laughs> they gave me a bit of a, Oh yeah, we know him. Yeah. Yeah. We know him. He's okay. He's okay. Yeah. He's a little, he's a little, yeah, he's a little odd, but he's, he's a good, seems like an okay guy. Yeah. So anyway, I call him and, um, he says, yeah, yeah, come over. It's crazy. Cause I never responded to him at all. And I just call him out of the blue. Like, and this is uh, probably a week and a half later. And he's like, yeah, I'm here. Just come on by. I'll make you some food. That's the kind of vibe that this whole trip was too. Yeah. Like these are all strangers. Right. And, uh, I roll up to him and it's basically his, his grandmother's house and his grandma just passed. And so they just cleared out the house. So the house is basically empty. And I slept right on the floor where his grandma's bed was. Like I just set up a sleeping bag. So I'm sleeping where grandma used to sleep in this empty house and this woman's just passed. And the energy in the house is wild. When I roll up to the house, so he, I roll in and I come into the kitchen and he's on a computer and he's shopping for handguns. 
like he's he's just he, that's just what he's doing. As I mean, do. as you do maybe in Oregon, like. Yeah. But he was shopping for handguns, um, so that was a thing. And his grandma just passed, and I was like, okay, like I'm here. So <laughs> and anyway, but but the crazy thing, like, so then he makes me that he just gets up and starts making me this like vegetarian like stir fry stew thing and. And it's like late by then, so it's like 10 o'clock at night, and he's like feeding me, and he starts telling me the stories of his life, and this guy has had just this totally, like really hard and really bizarre life. Like the stories he's telling me are just mind-blowing. And um, and like, and so he just sits there and just tells me all these stories while I'm just eating this stew and just like trying to stay awake because I've been outside raining, like biking all day, and just wild. It ended up being just like super beautiful and lovely and a really a real connection and yeah. that was fine that was it and i bike away you know and that's what a lot of these were it was like all right here i am and then i'm gone yeah. you know and and so I, I like i stayed with this woman and her and her and her child and uh i remember her child's name is amanda panda like we called her panda and she took me to like the street fair that day and we hung out and we we're just like and just like all these like it was just like a lovely connection with these two people you know and uh the other the other wild one though is this this guy Clayton who we still stay in touch and he, I picked him because my message to the world was like this really sort of I don't know 27 year old total heart on his sleeve kind of I'm going on a spiritual journey kind of yeah. vibe right it was like as thick as it gets with that shit <laughs> and, uh, and 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 this one guy who writes me back his photo is him like in black uh over, uh, over um, what are they called? Like overalls? Coveralls, yeah. Yeah. yeah, coveralls. Yeah. And he's got his hands on the buckles kind of thing. And he's got a big rig behind him. And he's kind of like looking like gruff, kind of like he's just like standing yeah. there. Big and I'm man. like, who is this guy? Yeah. And I'm like, why is this guy responding to me? You yeah. know, like how is this connection happening? So I had so been like, That's, that'll be interesting. Let's stay with Clayton. Let's see what's up with Clayton. Um, turns out Clayton, like, first of all, he meets me on the edge of town because he, he's worried about the neighborhood he lives in. And he's like, I don't want you to bike in my neighborhood. I'll pick you up. I'll, I'll bike you in. He was like, the, he was actually the most thoughtful of anybody I stayed with on this whole trip. But I show up to his place and it was just really cl- like clear to me that he was actually quite a progressive guy. Like he was listening to NPR on satellite radio, but he was living in a very conservative, very redneck kind of zone his neighbors he was like yeah my neighbors are crackheads like they keep stealing our gas they keep siphoning the gas out of our cars and like his home situation was like really tough like there's a lot of people living in that house and like lots of kids and blind ferrets and like oh like blind ferrets as pets like it was a pretty what a scene it was a real scene and he but it was like he was just doing his thing and like Again, so I hadn't really met him yet. Like, I, he had driven me in, and he's like, okay, yeah, well, I'm actually a trucker, and I, tr- I drive at night, so I'm going to be gone. I'm going to leave in an hour. But I have time, so let's hang out on the porch, and, like, let's just drink a beer. And he just wanted – I think he just really wanted to talk to somebody that was outside of his bubble, you know, and yeah. connect. And and we so we had a really nice chat, and then he was like, oh, yeah, let me show you where you'll sleep. And so he takes me out back into the backyard, <laughs> and he's got this, like, like a shed, like those thin metal sheds that you would, or, you know, you buy and you, you build yourself and you just erect in the backyard to put tools in. But yeah. he had like insulated it and that's where he slept because he slept during the day. So he didn't want to be disturbed by the kids. But he's like, yeah, you can sleep back here. And the shed locks from the outside. And like, you know, it's like, I haven't really met the guy yet. This is before we had the beer on the porch and stuff. Turns out to be a lovely human. But like at first I'm just rolling in and he's like, yeah, come out back. I'll show you where you sleep. And like, <laughs> it's this shed in the back. 
<laughs> is this gonna be my last day on earth yeah like yeah there's a few moments like that where you're like i'm just trusting the universe fully here yeah and he turned out to be again a, a lovely human and and he made sure i was taken care of and all the stuff drove me back out to the edge of town because he didn't want my bike to get messed with or something anyway and that was that you know and just all the way along i had i had a number of people like in san francisco and one other city people not not going to be home when I got there and they just leave a key for me and I just roll up. That's Str- crazy. Stranger. Yeah, like that's... The, so this... It was a really beautiful trip. And basically, like, the best part about that trip not was, was meeting all these strangers and then getting to spend eight hours a day by myself on a bike, you know, and just sweating, kind of like in that flow of, of riding, sweating, thinking, contemplating my whole life, kind of really, you know... Just, just, just like putting things together and, and, and I was meditating the whole trip and I was so broke that I barely, I was eating super healthy cause I really couldn't afford anything on that trip. I was always just hoping that somebody would make me food when I got to their house. Cause I, I had really, I'd made a little bit of money before I left for the trip and I was like, well, I'll put it all on the credit card cause then I'll just spend it off the credit card. But of course the credit card payment kicked in and just filled my like i was maxed out so so i brought it a thousand below maxed out or whatever and then i just maxed out again and i had no money again so it i was i was pretty much in a a really tough spot that whole trip so i ate really clean and very simply i'd always be buying like granolas and things at the at these little like whole food kind of stores and uh man it was just like this super blessed trip that just flowed like that you know it really changed my whole life it it changed the trajectory of my life it kind of helped me close a chapter and start a new chapter Mm. It helped me really work through some things. Um, and then I came back and I like rebuilt my relationship with money because I'd been in debt for so long. Like I had a really, really hard relationship with money. And I came back and I just like, I had one coaching session and I completely reframed my relationship with money. And so, then money started flowing and things started changing and all this stuff. So. Wow. So how did you reframe? I mean, so many questions from that trip. Yeah, and it's amazing. <laughs> a couple of takeaways, but just, just on that money point, because you brought it up, like how did you reframe that relationship? What did that look like? Yeah. So f- the coaching session was actually with uh, Jean-Pierre um, LeBlanc, the founder, the co-founder of Sage Wellness. Okay. Ooh. He he does he he like i don't know if he still does but he he's always kind of done transformational coaching and things like that and he and he was like family friends with my parents like him and him and uh, kate <clears throat> so my mom was like you should maybe see somebody you know like and and so that's i it was like just random i didn't pick him i didn't know him i, I didn't i'd never done a coaching session before like at that time i'd really never asked for help from anybody in some regards you know um today's world it feels like i'm really like it's cool to see young people really feel like they know how to reach out like i get a lot of young people just randomly reaching out and be like hey can i talk to you i heard you on this podcast like i don't know there's like it's a new world of connection but at that time it just wasn't wasn't like that as much but anyway so i I go to i go to meet jean pierre and he was the first person i think that i told about my debt like I hadn't told my parents still I hadn't told like my I think my girlfriend maybe knew but maybe didn't even know I was with her for like two three years none of my friends knew the business partner that I had kind of gotten into trouble with money and he knew obviously but I didn't tell anybody so I it came out it just like he so you're probably embodying that stress all the time all the time like... all the time I was just living that and I was working my ass off all the time and just making money but it would just pay down debt mm-hmm. and so he like he was very good at this like he really quickly pulled it like 
the story emerged, right? I didn't go in plan- planning to tell him about my debt. Or maybe I did, but I didn't know I did. You know, yeah, it wasn't sure. your like plan. To no, go. I didn't know. I was just okay. My mom wants me to go have a coaching session. I'll go. Yeah, and uh, it really quickly came out. And then he he basically started like asking me questions. He's like, so when you think about making money, like what what do you think about? It? And it made me realize that anytime I thought about a, a potential opportunity to to do something that would I would make money, I would just immediately think about my debt. So like it was, it was like it's almost I hear, I think about money and I want to block that thought. Because it just means I got to think about my debt, right? So it just like connected, like it was, so. It was a negative relationship. Yeah. So he was he was the first person to really share this idea that you know money is energy, and you are energetically closed to receiving it because it 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 scares you because it upsets you because you have guilt and shame and all this other stuff built around it. And he's like, look, you you didn't you didn't fuck up. That's your student loan. You didn't go to school. You did that instead. You did a whole bunch of other things. You tried stuff. You you made a mistake. You got in a bunch of debt. That's your like. That's your student loan. We're reframing it right now with you. And so mm. we. So I just did that in my mind, and um, and I just spent all this time like, you know, clearing the deck for this to happen. You know yeah. what I mean? So it was like I was primed, and it just it was like a light bulb went off, and that was it. And, and and then a few days later, I finally told my parents and I finally just, just kind of just let the air out of the balloon a little, you know? Yeah. And, and then just was able, then just things just started shifting. Then a buddy who I'd been working with on and off before that, we were doing kind of freelance stuff. He was like, why don't we start a little company and we'll do some web stuff. And, and then like a month later, we got a, a contract for, you know, it was like whatever, 10 or 15 grand. And then a month later, we got the big, like another contract for 25. And then, and then it was 75. And it was just like within six or eight months, the debt was gone after like having it for four years, five mm-hmm. years. And being in a place where I thought, oh, I'm never going to be able to get out of debt. Yeah. Like that's how it kind of feels. Like when you're under so much stress, I see this all the time with people we work with too. You get to a point of stress where you can't, your brain can't function properly. You can't actually think, think about it until you relax enough right almost paralyzed to possibility totally man totally yeah. like totally blind to any opportunity to get out of the hole and then it just all shifted in like just a matter of months so i love that i mean we're using money as <clears throat> as a metaphor for i think like shifting like if you're stuck in a relationship or stuck in anything a business or stuck in anything like yeah having those pivots or those shifts like how it allows you know, possibility and opportunity to come totally. into your life. So constantly talking to people about that now, and I've had that multiple times in different ways, right? And I see it all the time as in coaching or in the transformative work we do. You see it all the time where people like all they need to do is just breathe a bit more yeah. and like get some distance from the challenge that they're in. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you get some distance, you're like, Oh, this seems so obvious. And oftentimes it's also getting back into the body, yes. like getting out of the mind and getting back into the body because yeah. the answers are there, but the mind gets really, really tossed up and really constricted. Mm-hmm. We're, we're both big into running and I find that just by moving the body and going for 100%. a run, if I'm feeling scattered or chaotic or just trying to problem solve, if I'm like sitting still, those, those ideas become really stagnant and yeah. I'm not able to get to a solution or, or, you know, move through that stress. But as soon totally. as I start moving my body, the ideas start to move, the stress starts to move. And then I can like come back to a place with like a very grounded or fresh perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the pre, the pre race run, you don't want to do anything hard or long or anything like that. And they just call it like a shakeout. So it's yeah. like real slow and just kind of like you're out there because you need to move, you need to like yeah. flush the legs and stuff. But that is like 
kind of the apt metaphor for running in general is just like it's just like a shakeout. It gets all that stuff. Oh moving. man, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to jog a lot. I can't these. I'm trying to like retrain my body to get back to jogging because it's also the repetitive motion of. I mean, the cardio, the yeah. the movement, the wind, and then the the repetitiveness, the trance state that you yeah. get into yes. with long running, especially like or nature nature running. Like man, 100%. it's epic, epic. Yeah, I used to listen to music a lot when I ran. And then yeah. I felt like I was cheating on the experience of like actually just being in there. Cause it was like a distraction. I want to distract myself from running cause running is terrible. And then all of a sudden you're like, no, no, actually this is, this is the thing. Yeah, man. It's like being in there and just being aware of it and then letting my mind wander to the point of like, you get into that kind of like nothing space. hundred percent. Funny enough on my bike trip, like for the first couple weeks or for first few days, or at least I would, I was listening to music the whole time. And then I just realized, Oh, why am I, like let's just be fully present be here yeah yeah i don't even know if i would use that language but i just wanted to be right there yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. there's a there's like a, and, and whether we're aware of it or not always i think there is that deeper knowing yes. that we carry and we often quiet that voice to the point of like not paying attention to it at all yeah. with all of the other distractions that we're constantly surrounded by and then at the end of the day we wonder why we feel unfulfilled or anxious or angry. I mean, there's a whole lot of reasons that can go into that, but I think just missing out on actually being present and showing up in our lives and not being, you know, dictated by what's on our calendar or what job we have to do or oh, all man. these things. Right. Yeah, we spend way too much time in the past and the future. Oh yeah. <laughs> now we say the don't live in the, uh, the painful past Yeah. or live too in, into the, uh, the anxious future. Yeah. Cause both of those things are, are where we spend, we spend so much of our lives like what what we missed <clears throat> out on what hurts what's pulling us back and then if we're not there we're often worrying yeah about what's coming and then it's like we miss what's right here yeah 100 percent. listening to your story steve I, I pulled a couple um of your quotes from your from your old ig and i thought this one seemed uh, appropriate for from your mexico trip um and kind of is a nice segue into what happens next on your journey and I'm quoting you here. So in the, in the, in the words of Steve Rio, <laughs> uh, transformation requires, requires bravery. Bravery requires vulnerability. Vulnerability, vulnerability requires surrender. Mm-hmm. And I thought that kind of captured what you were, you were talking about on your trip. And can you kind of speak to that? Um, the transformation <laughs> require, requires bravery, requires vulnerability and surrender. Yeah. Yeah, that those three lines of they actually just came out of my mouth um, in a session with uh, with some clients, and but it's something we've been thinking about and constantly talking about. But it really it just sort of came out that clearly. Just and then I wrote it down. Right, I was like, oh, that sounds really good. <laughs> wow, Steve, that was a good quote, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> We're quoting you. We're quoting you. Uh, but yeah, like I think um, first off, I think. Uh, for a lot of my life, and I think for a lot of people, people feel like, oh, you know, in order to to move your life forward or to do something, you need to push, push, push. You're always pushing. You're always like, you need to exert maximum force against the world to On get the grind, to get hustling. what you, you need to grind. You need to do all this. You need to push so hard yeah. to get what you desire or what you are, are seeking or looking for. Yeah. You know, and I think I spent so much of my life feeling like 
that's just that was my truth like i just would grind myself so hard to burn out culture yeah, in a way. burn out culture but like also just this yeah like a complete misunderstanding of how energy works you mm. know um and how uh yeah just just how the actual universe like it's actually all just flowing and i, I think the more we realize that we're along for a ride and the more we're uh we become present like we we open ourselves to stay present to the possibility in each moment because when you're super focused like there's like really hard focus it's like a laser right and you're just like tunnel vision looking forward and uh and that can be good in certain moments like you really need that in certain moments that's like that's a critical function but if we're doing that all the time then we're missing like the 80% of the periphery and 80% of the possibility, right? And if you set a goal out five years from now and you're like, oh man, I got to do that every, my whole life depends on it, da, 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 and you're just grinding for that. Well, one of two things is going to happen. One is you've set a goal that's so beyond what's possible that whatever you do in that five years is going to feel like a disappointment. Or you're going to way underestimate what's possible for yourself. And because you were so focused on that goal, you you didn't notice all the other things along that path that could have been even better or more interesting or more expansive or more, you know, so, so I just, I think that's one piece, but, but in this to me, like transformation requires bravery. I think that feels fairly clear. Like you can't transform without being brave. The second piece, bravery requires, um, vulnerability. vulnerability. And that is pieces. I think a lot of people don't get like, they think, oh yeah, to be brave, that means to be tough. It means to be hard. It means to have armor on. It needs to, it means to like go into battle with weapons right and the truth is like you can't transform like it's so hard to move when you're that rigid mm -hmm. when you have that much armor on it's really hard to receive when you have that much like weight when you're carrying that much weight with all those weapons like it, you move really slow and you're and you're and and it's it's really hard for you to engage right um and so you you need to open up right so you need to be vulnerable and, and, and no bravery happens without having fear. Mm -hmm. and, and like anybody who says they were, were never afraid when they're taking big risks in their life, like that's just not true. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's selective, <laughs> selective memory maybe, sure. right? <laughs> so you need this vulnerability. And then, and then this piece about surrender, I think this is what I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to practice these days. And I think the work that my wife and I do now with people is really helping people start to practice surrender. And to me, surrender just means... It doesn't mean giving up. It doesn't mean saying, like, I don't have to try hard. And, like, in the words of, of Ram Das, you can be very involved in your life, but you don't have to be attached to your life. You need to surrender to whatever's going to happen. You know, somebody asked me this morning, they said, like, oh, you know, what do you, what do you want to achieve on this podcast? Have you taken some notes? Do you have, like, some directions you want to go? And I just thought, you know, no, I... I want this podcast will evolve as it does. This conversation will go wherever it goes. And the more I can surrender to the energy of this moment, the more I can trust in the universe to hold me, like the less I have to do. And chances are the better the outcomes are going to be. Mm -hmm. So I, I've, I've been on this ride now. I think I've always known this to some degree, but I've always overridden that with my, my ego mind, my sort of like fear-based mind constantly telling me, Oh no, no, no. You, I know you know this, but, you still got to control the narrative and you still got to control the outcomes and you still got to try and hold everything together and it's all on you. And I think over the last few years, I've been really unraveling that for the first time in my life. 
yeah 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 that's so good I, I love that it makes me think like you know we've, we've chatted before and like my one of the hats that I wear is like the pastor yeah. hat right and it's it's kind of unique because I sometimes feel like a bit of a black sheep uh in in that world yeah but that's okay it's uh, kind of don't belong anywhere but then belong everywhere so it works but the the yeah. line when you were just speaking there uh, um kind of paraphrasing or quoting ramdas like who is a great spiritual teacher yes. and so tapped in to god source however we name yes. it right yeah but it just made me think of a line that's so <clears throat> misunderstood and often misused by jesus which is like whoever wants to find their life must lose it mm-hmm. and people are like whoa what does that mean like lose your life like <laughs> and it gets all fear-based in the way rather than seeing it as like uh, not a disassociation from life or not valuing <clears throat> life but like yeah you were just saying it's like not being attached to those outcomes or like being okay with not being in control and actually finding in that the greatest freedom well, yeah, and if you're not okay, if you're if you're not okay with not being in control, then it's going to be a really hard ride because newsflash, like yeah, we're not in control at all, ever. <laughs> yeah, like we are barely we are barely aware of the reality in which we live. We have like senses that are creating a reality for us. Like we are barely aware of what's happening here. Yes, barely. Oh. And and the greatest science that we have is looking as salt, like as you know, figured out about fifty percent of the material world, like about. We can we can only measure less than five percent of the material world. Ninety five percent of the material world we can't even see through an instrument, and then about fifty percent of that we've kind of so, sort of figured out, and that's just the material plane. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> yeah, and then we like consciousness is like a black hole, and the and then we're still trying to figure out the brain, and like you know, like good, you know, so there's so much we don't know. There's so much unknown. We don't, you know. Yeah. So anyway, I think yeah, you just gotta you gotta accept that a little bit. Yeah. And the more you do, the easier things get. Yeah, for sure. A good friend of mine, she, uh, <laughs> yeah, she, she uh, lost a daughter very suddenly and tragically, mm. like a teenage teenage daughter. And then years later, like still working through it and all this, she shared something that was really like so profoundly true and simple. She's like, everybody's living their plan B at best. Mm. And I was like, oh my god, like that is that is it, right? Mm. And she's like, and we have to be okay with like this would have been my plan A that all of my children would be here and with me and da 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 but she's like that's not my reality we're all living plan b at best i was like oh i like that because it's just such a you got to be willing to let go and go with that flow yeah. of what's happening around you and some of it is going to be really beautiful and other parts of it are going to be hard and that's because we're not in control yeah. of anything that's going on around us in these like ways that we want to pretend that we are yeah yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the last couple of years, we've also been practicing an emergent strategy. And what that means is just to say that there is no plan A mm-hmm. and there is no plan B. There's just what does this moment present? And that moment could be a couple of months at a time. Like we've kind of got a we've just um, uh, accepted some some funding. And so we're, we're looking at what the next steps are. But we are very clear that we don't know what we're going to be doing five years from now. We're not making any projections. We're not. All we know is that right now we're being called to do this thing in this way. And we think that the exact next step is this thing and it's going to cost this much, you know, and that's all we can really speak on now. And that's all like we don't want to commit to anything else. And I think over the last couple of years, it's just been purely flowing and trying to say like hands off the hands off a little bit here. 
like let's allow let's allow whatever to emerge let's stay really present and mm-hmm. let's try our best in each moment and let's be really intentional when we are active um or when we decide to be inactive in a situation let's be really intentional about that about that but not to have a big plan because again I, I think yeah planning can be helpful to help a group of people get clear you know so i think in at least short term it makes some sense but i don't i don't think it necessarily serves us otherwise yeah well i think it's like it comes back to that what you brought up like zach about the grinding through is like so many of us are stuck on on the plan that when things happen that are outside of that plan we just like tunnel vision and be like this is what we committed to doing so we need to like see it through even if it's going to kill us or it's not what we need to be doing and we can refocus our energy here and pivot the plan, like have a plan, but be ready to change. Mm -hmm. Right. And be ready to roll with it. I think is what maybe is like a message that people need to hear. Cause some people that that the type a friends that listen might be like, no, 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 no. We must have a plan. We must do this. And you, you, you need to, you need to have vision and direction, of course, but not at the expense of like what's actually happening on the ground and how can you, like live into response. Yeah. Well, any of those listeners we're losing right now, I can, <laughs> I, I can let them know that I'm like the most type a human they probably ever meet. At least I have been, I don't know that I am right in this moment, but I yeah. have been many times. Like I'm certainly very involved in my life and I'm doing many things and I'm pleasantly ambitious. Like I'm like peacefully ambitious in many areas of my life. It still doesn't, I still don't need to be attached to my outcomes. Mm-hmm. You can, you can be in like, again, involved, but not attached. And, and so you can be doing lots of things without worrying about what the outcome exactly is going to be. Yeah. Well, when I first met you just for context, you're like a leader in the, the business community mm-hmm. and you were type A, um, like you were kind of an <laughs> alpha, alpha, alpha leader in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we met at a, a male leadership retreat where it was like, most people there own their business or were a CEO or were some yeah. sort of alpha. And, uh, you know, you were one of the alpha alphas. So <laughs> I know that actually being there, there was a couple of reflections I got. I don't know if it was from, from you or from others. Remember the exercise we did that everybody wrote one reflection of? Yeah, I still remember what I wrote be- to you, actually. It's a beautiful exercise. Do you? Yeah. What, do, you, do you share it? I, I, do you mind? I, I, I believe I wrote something along the lines of, you're the kind of leader that I want to see in the world. So, oh, something along those thanks, lines. <laughs> but I, I was welcome. actually, yeah. So we gave a comp, like a kind of a, a compliment to everybody. We also gave one ref, like a, a consideration. I think it was referred mm, to as like, yes. And, 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 and so I got a couple of comments about, you know, you are the alpha in this room. Yeah. You don't even know it kind of thing. And sometimes that was, some of them were the, in the compliment section, but also sometimes it was in the, <laughs> yeah, you don't really realize, but you're kind of alpha dogging people, yeah. you know? <laughs> and so I, I've been, I've been really, uh, exploring my energy around that, especially around men uh, yeah. a lot in the last few years, you know, and just like always aware of what are the dynamics in this room? And is there somebody in this room that really needs, like wants to feel like the alpha or needs to be the alpha? And I, can I just create that space for them and be spacious yeah. with them and yeah. let that happen? Or, you know, it's really interesting. It's an evolution. Yeah. Well, let's get into what you're, what you've been up to for the last, you know, I don't even know how long now, five, five or six years, maybe more. Maybe it's been your whole life. Lifetime probably has been. Um, and it involves surrender. Like 
psych- psychedelics. My mm. my experiences with psychedelics is you have to surrender. And mm. you know, going back to that theme, if you try to be in control, uh, you're going to have a negative experience. Um, yeah. So surrendering surrendering to the experience of the psychedelic or the medicine opens up possibility and journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though that was a theme that wasn't attached to psychedelics, just kind of tying it in. Um, let's let's get into your journey, what you've been building with your with your with your home and your business and and just like the psychedelic space as yeah. a whole. Where do we start? Where do you want to start? Maybe how did you get into this? Like, what was your yeah. what, what was the hoop that you first you know walked through the door that you walked through that mm-hmm. opened your eyes to this as a bigger part of your life's journey? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the the first the first piece is is my experiences when I was young, uh, with mushrooms and, uh, I wouldn't have known it then. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't super intentional at the time, but it was certainly exploratory. And, um, I had a number of experiences with mushrooms that were really informative in terms of how I saw the world. I had, I had this one experience of watching this. I was up on this hike and watching the the, the sort of tree canopy breathe together you know like that's what i experienced i experienced the trees kind of spiraling and breathing as one organism and uh you know these kind of moments and and these experiences my close friends just engaging energetically with them you know it's just in fun but like really just experiencing a whole different dimension of consciousness Mm -hmm. so i feel like i had a lot of those types of experiences um i'd also say that music was very psychedelic for me um in the sense that it was I didn't need to always be on substances necessarily, but that I was constantly having altered state experiences with music, right? So like playing music with friends or like playing performances, uh, whatever, like you would be out of body, out of time, out of, you know, you'd be out of time and space. And so I had all these experiences. So, so through my teens and twenties, I had lots of formative experiences about flow states, about psychedelics, about consciousness. And I was constantly exploring, like I had the Ram Dass Be Here Now book when I was like 16 or 17, you know, and <laughs> um, so I had all those experiences. And then into my um, mid, late 20s, about late 20s, when I had that sort of ego death of the end of my music career and decided I'm going to be, you know, go into digital and design and stuff. And I, there was a moment where I, I sort of shut all that part of me down. Like I kind of <laughs> shut down a, a part of my creative, open spiritual seeking kind of version of me i really boxed that Mm. um and i think it i think it was because i came i I realized i was not going to make a career out of music and i all a lot of my friends and stuff had gone through school by then and gone through business school and they were you know like they felt like they were way ahead and i'm air quoting here because the older you get, the more you realize that's all bullshit. But, <laughs> yeah. but at that age, you're kind of feeling like, damn, I'm like years behind yeah. and, uh, um, I need to catch up and, and I need to like be serious now and like collared shirts for, for life kind of thing or whatever, you know, <laughs> but there, there's definitely a little while. That, so I shut down all the, the psychedelics and then I, I met, uh, Austin, my wife when I was 30. Um, and we had both had lots of psychedelic experiences, but we didn't have any really together. And then half, you know, five and a half years ago, so another four years had gone by, almost five years had gone by, uh, we moved to Bowen Island. And we, when we, the day we took possession of our property, um, 
we had no plans for what we're doing now then but the the first night we were there we were like having a glass of wine on the porch kind of celebrating and just talking about whatever and we just suddenly talked about hosting psychedelics we're like maybe we could host psychedelic things here we've never done psychedelics together the two of us at that moment like one little tiny experience but never really done them and like never talked about this wasn't the plan we were actually planning to reno the place so that we could rent out multiple suites and move to new york and keep it as a summer place and like in multiple years from now when we retire or whatever we'll move back here or whatever. yeah we spent so we had that conversation which was just a just a tweak in the universe saying it felt like the land kind of rose up and said hey like there's something for you here mm. and something there's just an energy shift that happened and then we spent three months there and realized we're definitely not moving to new york like this is where we're going to be this is a this is the lifestyle we want to continue developing and um and then i guess pretty shortly after that we had our first experience with uh, 5meo dmt and um can you explain what uh, 5-MeO DMT is for those that don't know? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a hard one to explain because the experience itself is like beyond, beyond definition, like right. beyond language. But, uh, but what I can say is it's a very fast-acting uh, serotonergic agent. It basically is a, it's a, it's a, a synthetic molecule that you vaporize. Um, you can also, there's a couple other ways to take it. It's the strongest psychedelic on the planet. Um, it hits you very, very fast. So unlike when you take mushrooms or something like that, which maybe the onset is like 45 minutes to an hour, um, the onset of this is like five to 10 seconds. And wow. um, by the 10 second mark, it's at 100% strength. Oh, wow. Yeah, like it's, there, it's, it's just straight up. It's like straight up the, the mountain. And it's, it's very short lasting. Um, it basically, the, the peak of the experience is about, 10 minutes and then it and then there's like a slower tail that kind of trails off but it metabolizes quite quickly in the body um and the experience i would kind of take it out of the category of a lot of the other psychedelics because it has uh, very few visuals and very few um like hallucinations you know like if you do ayahuasca or mushrooms or even smoke dmt um and i'll just distinguish 5-meo dmt from dmt in just a moment but um all of those, when you when you take those, um, you have a lot of like. There's a lot of visuals and kind of you know like you see stories, you see parts of your life, or you see beings or aliens or all sorts of shit. Like you just you know you're kind of in this this spirit land for a while. Um, and with five meo, it, it goes straight through all of that. It, it goes into something totally different, and um, it's referred to as the God molecule. Mm -hmm. And it's the it's the closest thing. I think there is to dying and being reborn and to having the experience of, of leaving life as you know it to join all of life and then to come back from it. And not all people experience it as a, as a smooth, like God experience. Some people experience it as a terrifying, very hard experience, but either way it like it's, it's a, it's a massive reframe and it's a, and if it's done well, it's done right. It's like a, a hugely somatic process that you go through. And and it's like a rewiring, a reprogramming of the cellular memory in your body. It's like this whole, it's this whole thing. Wow. Yeah. And so we kind of dabbled back into psychedelics a bit, just, just privately. And we'd done some mushroom ceremonies and stuff, and we had hosted some people. And then we had this 5-MEO experience. And it was the 
it, it felt like the most definitive experience of my life in terms of psychedelics. Like it really felt like, oh, there was a before me and now there's an after me with five with MEO. In, 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 in it, it felt like I had gone from being a spiritual atheist to a, like a spiritual person that believed in God and like had, and had, and had, and had joined God and come back and understood that, oh, I'm connected to everything. And it was like, it's just, it was just day and night. That was it. Wow. You know? Yeah. Like really, really transformative in that way. Hmm. Like I've always had a spiritual side and I've always believed in energy and nature. And I thought I had some ideas about that. This was like, oh no, by the way, here it's, here's the whole thing. Like here you get to see it all. And my experience of seeing it all was, it was, it was like seeing the entire universe uh, in the, in, in a single instant. So there was, everything was one thing and it was just white light and it was just all love. It was just all pure love and everything. Yeah. Everything was perfectly organized. You know, it was just a perfect expression in a single moment. It's like going to, like we're going to go to a movie guys and we're going to go see a movie about how the universe works. And you go sit down and it's about to start. And then it just goes flash one, like flash of white light. (laughs) And you're like, holy shit. Holy shit. I'm going to have to process that for months. Yeah. That's what five MEO is. That's amazing. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And I'll, and I, my disclaimer to that story is that that was my experience. I had this experience of just pure bliss, white light. And, and that's what I refer to as kind of like the center of the bullseye of that experience. And lots of people do have that experience. A lot of people also have very different experiences. It's like, depending on how much work you've done beforehand or how much trauma you may have in your life or, or just the dynamic of where you're at in your life in that moment, all sorts of reasons and challenges in other contexts might mean that your experience is actually just working through other layers of material on your way to that point. But you're not, it's hard, It's not everybody has that full remembering the first time they have a 5-MEO experience. I think of it as a remembering. We talk about it like that. Um, because to us, what that means is like you're basically peeling back everything you think you understand or know about the world, about yourself, about life. You're just removing everything you know all the way back to your inception, like to the inception of life, to before you were you. You were just life. Hmm. Like, like your life came from somewhere. And you go back to that's it's a remembering of what who and what you truly are. That's so cool. Well, yeah. What are you thinking, Dina? You got your thinking cap on. <laughs> no, I mean it. Just it. It's so um, it's so intriguing, like that for like ever since there's been people with consciousness, like we've wanted to have that experience yeah. and imagining just like the different forms that people have tried to use whether we call like scaffolds to like access the thing or not through meditation through you know silence through deep conversation religion was like a scaffold or 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 is for many people to like reach that but ironically and unfortunately like many of those things and perhaps religion especially so becomes rather than like a gateway to access that it becomes a barrier in and of itself exactly yeah and that people would are so are so hungry for that meaningful connection or that encounter or that that movie theater moment where they can see it and be like, oh man, that it will remarkably change your life. And yet, the maybe the forms and functions that we explore to get there are actually part of the the thing that's keeping us from experiencing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like to me when I talk about 
because I like to talk about God these days because it just freaks everybody out. <laughs> tell, me, tell me about it. <laughs> You're sitting with the pastor here. Yeah, so. I, know, <laughs> I know. That's actually a big part of the reason I was excited to have this conversation because <laughs> yeah. I know that about your background and what you're into. But, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this conversation because to me, uh, God is simply just a connection with yourself and connection with those around you and, and with the broader with your broader world, right? Like it's just you tapping in to the, to the, to source, to, to, to your, to your true essence, to your true intelligence and to the, the goodness of this moment, right. And the opportunity <laughs> of this moment, right. It's, it, it's, it's kind of simply put it and you, and we don't need to use that word. And what's so funny to me that I, cause I've spent the last few years now, cause I have kind of part of me that actually is sort of all the intellectualizing we can do. I don't really care. It's just kind of funny to me. Like it, it, it's it's a bit inconsequential, but on the other hand, there's like a, a mind that has to be occupied sometimes. So I've spent <laughs> a lot of time thinking about it, and um, it's pretty funny to me to think about. Like I've spent a lot of time looking at quantum physics, yes. because quantum physics to me is just a, an exploration through math of God. Like it's uh, when you when you look at the far, the outer the other the outer edges of quantum physics. I mean, that's all they're trying to figure out, and they're they're just using math to do that. Yeah. And then you look at you look at AI, and they're trying to recreate consciousness, and they're just trying to do that through code. They're just talking about God through code. Mm-hmm. And so we're all like, and then and then there's the mystic traditions, and then there's religions, and there's all these different ways and framing. And then there's you go to yoga, and you can go to oh, there's all sorts of ways to talk about this thing. Different which, languages. Yeah, they're just different framings. Yeah. Right. And so, if somebody wants to call it the quantum field when they come back from it, great. If they want to talk about it as source, great. If they want to talk about it as some weird, like nebulous space of that felt cozy, great. Like it really doesn't matter to me. Yeah. To me, is like helping helping people reach that connection. Like there's zero dogma for me because because actually part of and part of the reason and I'll, we could talk about how we approach our our work. But once we've had these pure experiences, we realize there's no you don't need to add dogma or like anything to it. It is it is perfect the way it is. And it's very, very clear and very, very simple. Mm-hmm. You know, like we don't need to, we don't need to add story. Like a lot of what we're trying to do is help people strip away the story of who they think they are. The story of how, the way they think all this is the story, like all these stories are just luggage. Like they're just, they're just in the way, you know, like if I, if I come into this room thinking, Oh, Steve is this kind of guy and Steve shows up this sort of way. And Steve says these sort of things, then that's, that's just that's just a constriction and I'm just putting on a suit that I have to wear. Right. You know? And I've already got this like skin suit that I gotta wear all the time. Like Absolutely. God. Yeah. <laughs> For now. Yeah. But but it's funny because like I go through like pendulum swings sometimes in my life where I feel like, oh, I've got to be this sort of dude, like mm-hmm. uh, and I and or I gotta be like alpha, like I gotta or I gotta be really spiritual and I gotta be real soft spoken and this. It's like no no, I like just be here. Like, yeah. Just just be surrender yeah Mm. man yeah so you had this experience and it kind of put you on this journey uh with austin with your wife to uh create kind of an experience a a place where others can have similar experiences yeah yeah Um, so yeah so yeah talk talk us through what you guys are creating and what you guys are doing and um kind of the role that you hope for this to play in society or that you are playing in society yeah um so yeah basically after our first experience it was first of all exceptionally beautiful and um like just just 
tremendously powerful and it, and it, we realized very quickly that oh this this is a tool that really helps us work with people in a way that we've been kind of working with in different parts of our life our whole lives you know like i feel like my whole life is culminated to doing this work it really does feel like the most the closest i can get to doing my life's work is right now um and it's really interesting because the forces of business and all these things are always pulling at you to pull you away from the ground, especially when you're like when you're me and I've been a CEO and I can everyone's like, why are you doing that? Why are you facilitating? Like you should run the business, like, scale this thing da, da, da. like and I, I have to say, like the point is that when I'm in that room working with someone and when I'm preparing someone and integrating someone from these experiences, when I'm working closely with my wife to prepare the like sweeping the floor or preparing the space like that is the work that is that's the essence of this and that for me is like where i can get the most growth and learning and expansion and i can stay close to it so i'm i'm in this funny space of balancing running this thing and figuring out what we think about it and what we're going to do with it and just wanting to just actually i don't really care about any of the growth and all of these compressions i just want to do the thing mm-hmm. but what we're doing but what we we also was so we had this really sorry i'm veering off but we had this really beautiful experience and we also realized that the way and our first couple of experiences and the way a lot of people were were doing this was really not very well held like it was five meo you can do in an hour like i could come to your house and we could do it in an hour and that would be one thing but like you heard what i just described Right. Like how big that is. And so imagine coming to someone's house and for the first time you're going to just do that with them and then you're going to go. Experience God and then we'll see you later. Yeah. And then the person goes over and grabs their phone off the counter. It's like, well, let's just check back in and like, oh, maybe I'll get a few emails out. Like, like what, what the fuck is that? (laughs) You know? So one thing we realized really quickly is like this, this is, this is something that requires a lot of space, like it requires space and it requires people to be able to pull out of their lives and have, and be taken care of in a way. And also that there's a lot of, in, like a lot of ways that we can prepare people properly to optimize, like to, to hopefully optimize the experience as best as possible. Yeah. You know, simple stuff like making sure that your nervous system is in good a shape as possible to be really blasted with this experience like it's not dangerous but it's super intense you know it's like um skydiving or something like that like it's going to be super intense so the more the more tuned you can be the the more you're going to be able to pull out of that experience right so like the more you're going to gain from it so all these kind of things so how can we prepare people really efficiently and and effectively and how can we build trust with people so that another big part of this experience to surrender you need to trust Mm -hmm. you can't surrender if you don't trust right so if I don't trust you guys, then I'm going to be here in a bit of a defensive mode in this conversation. Well, take that like 20 notches up to a psychedelic experience. Like if I don't trust you guys, there's no way my psyche is going to let you in or I'm going to let go or I'm going to relax. So a lot of it's trust building and creating space, even virtually with people before they arrive and sending them notes and talking to them and doing proper intake. So we've just been like just focused on building a really beautiful delivery care model for this for this experience Hmm. and and thinking a lot about how to do that in a way that's spiritual and uh you know sacred and like really ceremonial but also that's not pulling in a whole bunch of um culture that's not ours or like that's not like we're not 
you know, like how do we do this in a way that feels clear, feels authentic to us, but also kind of creates like a bit of a, like a white box for, or like in acting, you call it a black box theater where it's like, there is nothing here. It's like your, you create, you create your experience for yourself. So mm. like our environments are very, very clear and everything we, we do. So how do we kind of do all of those pieces at once? Um, so basically, I mean, all of that to say, we, we run these, these really beautiful small group retreats. We work with solos, we work with couples, and then we work with small groups of four. And we take people through a process over a few days on our property. And we do a lot of pre-work and a lot of post-work. And in the next step, like what we're starting in the new year is building a community around this so that there's like in the, the equivalent of sort of like circles that you can drop into and continue to just check in and have little talks. And I mean, similar to, I don't know, probably most like a Quaker ser- ser- sermon or something like that, where yeah. people just come and whoever wants to speak, speaks. But, right. It's very, very open. Yeah. Very open. But like having the equivalent of, I, I kind of, I really like the AA model, mm-hmm. like the way they create just, you just come and you just sit. And if you need to share, you share, but you don't get a bunch of feedback and no one's teaching you a bunch of stuff like it's just a space to be right so we're looking at how we can create these community circles that have that atmosphere and then some like online online learning and different pathways that you can get into so that's the next step of what we're doing is evolving that that's cool yeah are are you guys um experimenting playing with various psychedelics or have you is is uh, 5meo kind of your your baby that uh you know your business with we i mean we're our 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 primary work is with 5meo it to us feels like um first off it's um it's uncharted space which is always interesting Mm -hmm. like it's actually a fairly new molecule and a new discovery i mean so 5meo is a molecule we buy it from a, a lab in europe and so to be clear 5meo is unregulated in canada so we're also working with something that's not illegal right now which is nice. It will probably have some regulation come into play and we're working on our game plan for what, what we do then that happens. But mm-hmm. um, 5-MEO is found in nature in the Sonoran Desert toad. And so this this toad in the Sonoran Desert, which is down in the Arizona-Mexico border region. So it's like found in one toad in the world. Wow. And the first person to actually smoke toad venom or to find the toad venom and smoke it was this guy, um, oh... Ken Nelson and uh, he had a he had a pen name but I'm blanking uh, Albert Most he because he, he wrote this pamphlet in 19 I think came out about the 1980 or something like that so only a couple decades ago yeah right so it's not like uh, ayahuasca which has been around for thousands of years mushrooms have been around in different cultures around the world for thousands of years I mean there's there's a solid argument that it was around various psychedelics were around at the beginning of Christianity at the beginning of various Judaic Christian faiths um, and way before that, like, so, but, but as far as any, as far as written history, or as far as known history, there's no history of this, hmm. of 5-MEO being used in any setting. So it's kind of this blank canvas. Yeah. Plus to us, it just has, it has the, the clearest, the, the experience is so clear for us. It's really transcends a lot of this. Like, again, we're really about helping people strip away story. Mm-hmm. I think if anything, we're most connected to sort of Buddhist philosophy and Stoic philosophy, like really about simplifying right Mm -hmm. and this experience feels really close to that i think in the future we will we would love to work with some other substances but right now they are illegal so we cannot do that right 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 um can you a lot of a lot of this i think is about 
language because for so long there's been the war on drugs and there's been like kind of this perception that drugs are bad and in the last like five or so years there's been a shift uh going from you know using the language of drugs to medicine psychedelics for healing oh yeah Uh, it's a good one (laughs) so can can we kind of jam a little bit on how language can shift experience uh, both individually but also collectively. Let's talk about drugs. Yeah, let's talk about drugs. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that's, all, I mean, that's so much of, of the conversation when you introduce something like this and people say, oh, it sounds interesting. I'm intrigued by it. But they would like start the conversation as I tried this drug. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or I'm like or even, I don't do drugs. Yeah, like per, drugs like, are bad. Yeah. Drugs are dangerous. Yes. The the danger piece like well what what are the side effects? Like what is the research? What how do you know that this is like safe for people? Like all of these things start like ramping up for people, which the irony is like many of those people might not care about any of those other questions when it comes to other things they consume in their lives. Yeah. Right? But maybe because it's like new or it has such a profound impact. Yeah. That people there's like red flags or warning flags that come up right away. And so, yeah, addressing those, I think is, yeah, it's, it's a super interesting moment where we, um, as a movement, we are reframing these substances, right? Especially for older generations who I feel like our generation has a little less of that because like the real heavy sort of war on drugs was at least about 10, 15 years before I was going to be cognizant of it, like back in the 60s, 70s, up into the eighties. Right. Yeah. Um, but the war on drugs has been around, it, it was around well up to, it's still on now. It's, it's slowly unraveling now. I love these shirts. I don't know if you've seen the shirts you can say, but the, like the war, on, like drugs, uh, the war on drugs is over. Drugs won. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but, um, or something like that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, we are, we are having like, there's a lot of stigma mm-hmm. around these substances. And when you look at, for instance, psilocybin and you look at the like, toxicity profile, like it is one of the safest things you could possibly put in your body. I mean, like, don't do a bunch of mushrooms if you've never done them before, because the psychological impacts are going to be intense and you're going to, you know, like, so there's be careful. But I mean, in terms of, you know, putting mushrooms physically in your body, um, aspirin or Tylenol has a much higher toxicity profile than mushrooms does. Alcohol is, is, is poison. And our culture, we live in an alcoholic culture, like a very, I mean, for, I mean, and that's, that goes back thousands of years, like you know, most of the cultures that uh, make up our population, mo- the, the majority of our population are, are alcoholic cultures. Mm-hmm. So 100%. Yeah. And, and it's what, very easy to see the damage that that does. Both absolutely. On a individual, like physical level and then societal. Absolutely. So, so we're okay with these foods that kind of take away life. But if you bring in a substance or a food or a medicine that, you know, opens up perspective and experience to, what you just shared, you know, a godlike experience where we, we put a barrier on it and say that's not okay. We've always had people putting barriers on, on a godlike experience, on a spiritual experience. I mean, to me, uh, the, the Christian religion is just that. They, I mean, they basically tried to put as big a gates around Jesus' words and his, and his message and around the spiritual experience as they could. Mm-hmm. Right. And they kind of said, Oh, well, if you want a spiritual experience, you got to come through us, come through us. And, yeah. and we'll, we're talking to God and we can connect you, but like, 
we'll send you a text message. We'll let you know what he says. And yeah. it costs 10 bucks. It's yeah. the mediated experience. Yeah. yeah. And, and when you look, like, there's a really fantastic book that came out uh, um, called the... Uh, oh, shoot. It'll come back to me in a second. Um, but it basically, he, he did 12 years of research to trace back the, the origins of, of Christianity. It's called the immortality key. Mm. Um, and he traces back the, the roots of Christianity and the Judaic face and basically shows that like in, in the birthplace of these, uh, religions, they were having, they were already having ceremonies. They were having psychedelic ceremonies in the mystery schools. They were called the mystery schools. And you would, and their and their slogans were, "If you die before you die, you never die." And you would have these experiences, and you would drink the wine, and it was like in shot glasses, and you would stay up all night, and and all these photo, all these drawings on the walls and stuff of these people exalting to the sky and having these wild experiences, and eating eating bread because at that time, basically one of the ways to to have a psychedelic experience was with was with this mold that grew on rye um, called ergot which is effectively like natural lsd so you'd eat blood and you drink this little thing and and you look at how the the catholic church evolved that kind of took these took these these ceremonies and stripped a lot of them out and you have you have the the sacrament and you Mm -hmm. have the blood of Blood of Christ is that what it's called? Yeah, or the, yeah. Depending on the tradition. Yeah. yeah, but something like that. But they kind of created you. You do the motion where you eat the bread and you drink the wine. Yep. And you're in a Christian. You're in a spiritual space, but but that experience has been stripped of its actual connection. Mm-hmm. And and he and he just shows like all this. He got into the Vatican's records and all these things, and it's it's remarkable. He was actually piggybacking on all this research done by this other guy Ruck in the seventies. But he put out his Ruck put out basically a very similar book in the seventies, but it was like right at the height of the war on drugs, mm. and he basically came out saying Christians used to do LSD, <laughs> and that didn't go well in America. Didn't, didn't make the best sellers. That was not. Lives. No, he basically ended his academic career. Wow, it basically crushed this guy, wow. because, which is yeah. which is telling in and of itself. Yes, because like sometimes it's you know you don't you don't want the story out of the bag, but like if there's so much fear around it that like you know the air quotes powers that be like want to bury something that's yeah. kind of like well wait a second and like ironically that's yeah the the freedom and the kind of exposition that like jesus brought as this like non-religious kind of like troublemaker yeah who is redefining all of yeah, these he, paradigms he was essentially you know fucking with the system a hundred percent like that's why that's why there's you know the story of like good friday and easter is because like he was murdered not for being like a good religious boy no but because he was fucking with the system and 100%. the people in the system were like this has got to stop yeah and and the loudest proponents for this has got to stop were the religious people yeah and like it's so sad to say but not a lot has changed no no and, and unfortunately i it the, the the crazy part is, or the, the hard part for me is that we are like in our society right now. We are desperate for meaning. We are desperate mm-hmm. for that community. Like yeah. church served a function. Like when it wasn't highly dysfunctional in its ideology mm-hmm. and in its othering of all sorts of stuff, it serves a really key role of bringing people together in a meaningful dialogue around purpose and meaning and all these and community and all this stuff. And, and we've largely lost that, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that's a huge that's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 we do need to figure out how to to reclaim that spiritual space and, and that community space in a way that's 
not like super confronting and triggering for people because you mentioned God to most people. I'm sure a lot of people have turned this. Po- Sorry, this is gonna be like the least listened to podcast you guys have done <laughs> no, yet. No your, your, no, your numbers just dipped to like twenty uh, percent for this one. Weird. Everybody dropped off at the fourteenth minute. Like, what did they say then? Um, but you know, like it's really triggering for a lot of people. So figuring out how to how to how yeah. to bring bring this back in the fold and say, you know what, just because it was, it's been done wrong a lot, doesn't mean it's, it's all bad. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's like, there's in, in the middle of it, it's actually something very, very beautiful. Of course. Yeah. Well, and the desire to, to control people's religious experience yeah. has been the story of religion for so long, right? Whether it be the priest who is that kind of go between, between the, the average person and connection to the divine or even in like non-Catholic or quote yeah, unquote, lots of like spiritual communities. Yeah, it's it's mitigated through the person or the these practices or the other. Yeah, and I found that so much of it is not experiential. Like the experience piece has been taken out of it, and so it's this very like kind of from the neck up, like disembodied. Here are the here are the doctrines. Here are the things you need to believe. And in some circles, not all, but in some circles, it's like, don't ask the obvious questions that naturally rise up or, or don't have those doubts, like put those out of your mind. And certainly like any type of physical experience Mm -hmm. or experiential like component is frowned upon. Yes. And And that's that's actually the only way to know something truly is to know it in your body. Yeah. That's the only actual truth we have. And that's, I mean, that's why at this point the internet is fragmenting you know, we're moving into a, a new version of reality anyway, but like the internet is fragmenting us so, so distinctly because it is a brain without a body. Yeah. It is a giant brain that we're all connected into with our brains and there is no body there to ground it. So there is no truth there because anything is possible there. Cause it's just, it's all illusory. Right. Yeah. But sorry, but back to you just before we go into that tangent, yeah. somebody, I got questions and tangents from that tangent. I, Let's go I know. I know this, this is a fractal conversation voice, yes. yeah, <laughs> but good. the, uh, but the, the drugs and the medicine and this kind of languaging thing, I, I it's funny cause I can see it both sides on, on, on the one side. Um, we, we definitely need to stop. You know, this this idea of doing drugs is bad, is hilarious because we do we drink coffee every day, people smoke or they, they do vapes. We drink a lot of alcohol in our society, we drink we eat sugar. There's all sorts of ways that we drug ourselves. We throw all the, all the time. GMOs on our everyday foods and Yeah, yeah. Like we do all sorts of things to to drug ourselves. Mm-hmm. And like coffee to me coffee and alcohol are the two biggest examples. Like coffee if you drink caffeine yeah, if you sorry, like I don't drink caffeine anymore. If I if I drink a cup of coffee, like it is an incredibly strong dr- drug for me. I can't drink coffee. Yeah. No, and 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 like anything, you you get used to it. Like I when I was young, I used to smoke a lot of uh, a lot of cannabis, and I got so used to it. And people say, "Man, how do you smoke and work?" And I was like, "Well, I don't know. It's just it's easy." But then when I stopped, if I take a couple puffs of anything, I'm going to be really stoned. You know, yeah. like. So our bodies are, are really resilient and we can build this, but like, in fact, all of these drugs are very strong, but they're just normalized in our society. We, you know, you see out all these ads for Tylenol to be like, oh yeah, it'll make you a better dad. Like lifting your kid is hard. Like take a Tylenol every day. It's like, okay, but like, so that's normalized, but any, any other state change stuff is just suddenly not okay. So, so I think, I think we need to really like just take back the word drugs, but then also in, in the communities that I'm in. 
the word medicine is also thrown around a lot, a lot, which I find kind of funny. Like I think in, in certain cases it is medicine. Mm-hmm. When I'm in ceremony or when you're in when you're in when you're in a in a in a intentionally designed environment to have an experience where you are where you're doing transformational work, I would certainly say it's medicine. When you are with some buddies and you're in your kitchen and it's seven o'clock on a Friday night and you just put some music on and you're gonna dab a little MDMA to have some fun, it's drugs. And that's okay. Both are actually totally fine. I think. I think to me, it's like whenever I put a substance in my body, I'm my 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 question for myself is: Am I doing this to disconnect, or am I doing this to connect more deeply? Because certain certain substances can really help you really connect deeply with others, mm-hmm. um, and that can be really profound. Now, if it becomes a crutch, that's a challenge. Like it's just like anything. You just need to be intentional and mindful and aware of what you're what you're doing but like i would way rather have a society where we like do like micro doses of mushrooms at parties than everybody bombs wine all night or something like that like it's so it's so much more enjoyable i was at my buddy's wedding this past summer and it was three days and the whole group we didn't drink for three days now there are other substances and and but it was all in the all with the intention of really deep connection and we all woke up every morning and felt great and we meditated together and we did like it felt like summer camp out in the backyard of this house we had rented because we're doing all these like fun connecting exercises and sing-alongs at the fire and it was just and we all remembered it yeah like so so it was like this deep connection piece so anyway i i think like there's a i forget the guy's name do you know this guy um He's a, he he's he's out of Colombia. He wrote a book. Uh, it's called like doing like how to do drugs like an adult or something. No, he's basically like fully destigmatizing drug use to the point where he's like, yeah, I do I do heroin on the weekends once in a while with my with my wife, wow. which is like I mean that's a whole another thing. I, I'm not condoning and I've never done that and I probably never will. But just to say that I think everything everything we think is a firm belief of ours is actually just a cultural like construct right yeah drug use for grown-ups um yeah it's just it's just a construct that we've collectively decided is what is true or not true yes i think the more time we spend just checking in on that the better mm. right well i think at our before we started the recording uh we were talking about the loss of nuance and that's a theme we've had on, on various podcasts yeah. and i think you can carry that over to quote-unquote drugs or substances like either you're like you know, if you decide that you're against drugs, you know, you put this label against all substances when uh, with with some foods or substances, they have like cultural history for, for healing or they have mm-hmm. the ability to, to help somebody with their mental health or their anxiety or their stress. Um, so we're like stripping away the possibility for for someone else's experience just by oh man yeah you know saying black or white good or bad well and the, like you look at the research that's now finally re-emerging on psychedelics and it's just mind-blowing yeah like yeah. it's mind-blowing and, and frankly once you've experienced this and you've worked in a ceremonial setting with these honestly the research we don't need to do it but we i guess we're going to do it because yes. nobody's going to believe it otherwise but like it is mind-blowing mm. and 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 like this is just the modern era of of, of drug suppression uh, uh, of you know this is the modern war on drugs but I forget I forget if it's in uh, Immortality Key or another book I've read but somebody was talking about like there's there's been three or four major waves over the last 
you know, a couple thousand years. The first is at the root of Christianity, stamping out any all the psychedelic use. And, and it, it, it seems to be that at various points in society, these things start to reemerge. And then society goes, no, 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 we got to kind of keep this shit organized and keep it in the box. And, and there's a certain type of person that really believes that, I, I think oftentimes doing it for the right reasons in their mind, you know, mm-hmm. who really feel like, oh, no, this is dangerous because it un- is going to unravel our, you know, the way things are structured. and It's going to unravel, like they're just trying to keep things the same mm-hmm. and they're trying to keep everything organized and... Um, unfortunately, like we're, I, I, I'm hopeful now that at this era that we're in, like you can't really stop things anymore. Like the era of culturally clamping things down is very, very hard to do. I mean, it's still happening. We're still constantly under mind control on, on lots of levels, but it's starting to unravel. We're seeing that, and it's going to be a really challenging next fifty hundred years. But like we're starting to unravel the ability to even do that. So Mm -hmm. it's an interesting time. There's less buy-in in in the kind of prohibition mindset of like, oh, the word is going to deem this thing as bad and everyone will think, okay, it's bad. And it'll just be like the fringe kind of degenerate that will participate in these bad things. Well, and and we're just decentralizing everything. So, I mean, the only place where we're we're seeing this move very, very slowly is China and Russia is doing a good job of suppression. There's a couple of smaller countries where where they've got like really fixed systems in place and totalitarian kind of structures in place. Yeah, they can like just black out half of the internet if they want and do all sorts of stuff. But in most places in the world, like we just you can't as we de- decentralize information, knowledge, uh, currency, uh, every everything else. Like you you can't can't stop anymore there's no one source that you can just turn off or on right yeah like even you look at how fast things have changed look at the look at the 60s 70s there was like three major networks basically that told our world like our western world what was happening in the world this is how things are this is the news tonight nbc i think is this is the news tonight this is the world tonight that was their slogan something like that right and they were telling america telling canada like this is this is the way it is. This is the world. In this part of the world, this is happening. And these are the bad guys. And these are the good guys. And this is the thing. And this is the new in thing. And this is the... And and we're just... And right now we're in this messy period <laughs> of that is dead. Yeah. And what's risen up is just, a, a, you know, 10,000 voices trying to tell you. And, and again, no, no body, just a brain and very confusing landscape. So we're working through sense making. But it's uh, it's an important step in the decentralization process. So. Hmm. Can you, can you explain the idea of de- decentralization for th- those that this concept is new to? Like, we're seeing it in currency and we're seeing it um, in other places. Um, but if it's a new concept, can you kind of break it down? Yeah, and I know I know we don't want to... Yeah, so, so let's talk about currency. I mean, if you see what's happening, like cryptocurrency, and a lot of people can't see cryptocurrencies and, and the whole world of blockchain for what it actually is yet because... Mm-hmm. It's too it's too complex, too hard to penetrate, right? Um, and and all they see is like the Dogecoin fiascos or 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 like uh, you know, uh, yeah yeah like these kind of crazy things or or board ape. or Elon yeah Elon uh, tweeting about Bitcoin and it going up or down and all these kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So everybody kind of thinks it's just a carnival game right now, and it's just it's just a you know it's just it's chaos. But but what is being built is the scaffolding, the future scaffolding of our internet. Like and and it's and it's a fully new way of thinking about structures, both company structures, 
organizational structures, dissemination of information, the way things like you cannot. China was one of the biggest places that was basically mining, mining, mining Bitcoin. China said they just shut it down overnight. Basically, they just shut it down. Bitcoin dipped, like not the price, just the actual production, basically the processing of transactions dipped slightly. It's as if Visa had, like Visa, your your credit card, and you, they could only process so many transactions, and the transactions dipped for like a couple of days, and then they went right back up. China tried to, well, China did ban just Bitcoin, and it like, it barely blipped, you know? And it's just a great example where you can't, Bitcoin cannot be turned off anymore, unless you turn off the entire internet. You're not turning off Bitcoin because it's everywhere at once, because mm-hmm. it's fully decentralized, meaning it's there's no central server, there's no central computer where it sits that you can just go turn that computer off. Yeah. It's not attached to one country or one company. No, it's on everybody's computer and it's on every you know, it's in every country around the world. It's everywhere, right? So and besides Bitcoin is like barely anybody even really knows what Bitcoin is, let alone the entire like industry that's being built behind it. But they're just they're rebuilding the entire scaffolding of our internet, the way we think about money. And like, you know, when we talk about the metaverse coming and, and, and the virtual reality we're coming into, that is the scaffolding of the future of our reality. And it's just sitting right there being built. Meanwhile, the banks and the governments are all trying to do their thing at, like at a way too slow of a pace because they just can't function. Can't move that fast. No, you just can't. Like they are built for a different era. They're built for the era where there's three news networks and you can control the narrative and you can... <laughs> And you can do all these kind of things, and we're all sort of structured and organized around one one set of principles and ideas. Like we're not we're not there anymore. So decentralizing is happening there. Decentralization has happened in in information, the information landscape. I mean, we're sitting here doing a podcast, and it's costing you guys virtually nothing to do, and we can say anything we want and put it on the internet, and so can everybody else. Yeah. Um, you know, we can't just tune into the radio station to find out what's going on in the world. So that, like, the information landscape is completely decentralized. Yeah. Um, and, and like, really, like, the way we sense make is being completely decentralized. So, uh, it, yeah, we're just, we're effectively taking all of these kind of institutional top-down hierarchies and saying, we're not saying anything. It's just, they're just falling apart because the rate of novelty is increasing so mm-hmm. fast. Like, the we are moving towards the point where this world kind of flips inside out and goes into the next next version of reality. <laughs> and these institutions weren't built for this. Yeah, they'll, they'll be they'll be left behind. Yeah, uh, or, or kind of get dragged along, kicking and screaming, and then have to, if they can, reimagine themselves in what's yeah. New, like but... like think you think about right now. We we have these nation states. We we're in Canada right now, and there's all these different countries. But in the metaverse, like. You you you're not physical anymore. So, and, and and you look at most of these crypto coins, like the, like these currencies that exist, and they're not denominational based on where you are. They're just there, you know. And they they don't they don't really pay attention or they don't really care where you are. Yeah, so, equalizing, isn't it? It's equalizing in a way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, one one thought that I was following on on the metaverse is like. You know, if we look at nat- different countries, Canada may be seen as a wealthier country and other countries, you know, their currency is worth less. So if you, if you work really hard as a, you know, a driver in India, you're getting paid in rupees, which hold less value mm-hmm. in Canada. So it's like your currency is working for and against you. But if you are working in the metaverse, there's like one equal currency no matter where you live in the world. So your, your work 
holds equal weight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're working in somewhere where your your traditional currency is worth less, you know, that can transfer and allow you to um, elevate yourself in the real world uh, to be able to have, you know, financial security and opportunities that you would have never been able to have in yeah. a traditional sense. Yeah. So I think like its ability to elevate people out of states of poverty um, is, is exciting. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. To go, to go back to the the real verse. Even though I, I <laughs> we're both excited and interested in, in the metaverse and the decentralization of that. Um, can you talk on the future of of psychedelics uh, and what you think that evolution is going to look like? <laughs> <laughs> like where because i, I feel who like, knows man no uh <laughs> yeah. like we're kind of in the like you mentioned like meo is like a new substance relatively speaking like where yeah. do you see this space in 10 or 15 years yeah um first off just like to continue re- reducing polarities is like the metaverse exists we've been in the metaverse for a, a couple decades now yeah right? the metaverse has been building yes and we you you know our age group is spending probably roughly like 30 to 60% of our time in the metaverse. Yes. Maybe a little less, maybe, maybe 30, yeah, 30 ish percent for a lot of us. And maybe 50, 60% for some of us, young people are spending 80% of their time in the metaverse, but they still also have to function in this world. That's why a lot of young people, like nobody can make sense of them and they can't make sense of the world because they don't know how to function in this 3d slow moving world that hasn't been chopped into tiny fragments. And yes, (laughs) right. So it's, it just like always remember that, all these things are just transitions that have been in progress for a long time. Right. And if you've uh, been on Facebook or, you know, Instagram or yeah. do your shopping online, yeah, hundred percent. you've already been participating yeah. or in yeah. social networks or in any of these things. Like I, I'm not a huge fan of the social networks as they currently stand. They're just, but they've just, they're just corporatized versions. Like they're just extraction model, old world extraction models. Yes built on a really novel idea of connecting people on the internet. Yes. I have no issue with connecting people on the internet. I have a problem with extracting mm-hmm. extracting value in that transaction or in the, in that exchange. Yeah. One, one thing I read, we're going to go all over the place this here, is, yeah. but I love this. So um, I hope everyone can yeah, I don't even stay, remember stay, the question stay, you just stay, asked. Stay with us. But Buckle up. <laughs> this idea, um, you know, how Web3 is evolving and... Uh, currently, you know, with Facebook and Instagram, where our energy is their the currency, and um, you we're know, the, we're the product. We're the product, yeah. and they're collecting our data and selling it. But in this decentralized version, um, there can be profit sharing. Like if you know, we sign up, say, a, a version of a social network in Web three, and they sell our data for let's say seventy thousand dollars a year. Maybe you get thirty thousand dollars back, and it becomes universal basic income. Yeah, I, I, I'm just, I, I, I hate that. I hate that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only because then we're just saying, oh yeah, okay, you can keep, you can keep, like, you can hit me in the face every day, no problem. But as long I, as I get mine. But but you pay me fifty cents every time right, you hit right, me in right. the face. Yeah, like, like we we because we can't see this data extraction happening, and yes. I and I agree, it's a step in the right direction. So yes. I don't mean to like. That's okay. We're here for conversation. Yeah, I don't. I don't mean to be confrontational, but (laughs) the uh, we we can't see this happening, right? We can't see this this data extract like this data extraction happening, but it's 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 
but we look at these mines that are being dug in the side of a mountain and we go, shit, that doesn't look good. And we yes. look at these forests being cleared and we go, that doesn't look because we can see it. Yes. And, and we're not, if those, if those were happening right next to us, we'd probably feel a lot worse than they do when they're miles away. Right. But this, this kind of extraction that's happening, this virtual extraction that's happening is like one of the greatest thefts of all time. It's, it's, we're literally stealing our minds, right? We're, we're stealing our minds and to, 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 to in any way condone that or support that or to say, yeah, maybe there's a way to steal our minds where it's ethical. It's just not true. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not real. Yes. Like, like it, we need to, we need to, we need to be able to draw a hard line and say, I should be able to engage just like the three of us are feel like we should be allowed to sit in this room and have privacy or sit in this room and have sovereignty we should also be able to go on the internet and have that too. Mm-hmm. We deserve that. That's a human right. Now, privacy is a tricky one because as things decentralize and as things become more public, you know, we're going to have to rethink what privacy means, but that doesn't mean it can, we need to be okay with being extracted from or, or, or sort of stolen from in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. So anyway, we just need to be... I, I like that context. Yeah, yeah thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Just no, that's to, helpful. Because it seems like the easy fix is just like, well, we'll, we'll give you a cut. Yeah. And in some in some realities or versions of reality, like that could be life altering for people where they're like, Oh my gosh, like I'll finally be able to have access to money that like wasn't available to me before. But it doesn't change like you you had pointed out, like it doesn't change the fundamental right that like we're still being you know, maybe it's maybe it's too strong a word, maybe it's not but like exploited. We are for our information. We are being exploited all the time. Right? Yeah. yeah, every day. And so it's like here's Here's some money for that yeah. exploitation, but like, like at the beginning of at the beginning of globalization, all these corporations kind of created this this messaging that said, you know what, we're going to give five cents a day to these poor Chinese workers. Like that's more money than they've ever seen. Look at how good we are to do that. Yeah. And now we're waking up and going, you know what, like this iPhone in my pocket is starting to feel gross because like it's made by slaves. Like yeah. it's made by poor people. Yeah. And it's made by people who are being taken advantage of. And I don't know if slave is too strong a word or not, or it's not, you know, like, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's confusing. Yeah. But it's certainly like indentured servitude Absolutely. At, at best. Absolutely. Right. Where they don't have another option. That's right. And so it's like work and make next to nothing or make nothing. That's like right. Like what option do you have? Yeah. So yeah. 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 So anyway, like these, and, and like anything, like, again, let's keep talking about the polarities is that like this is a very complex world and we are moving into a time where we can see everything that's happening mm-hmm. all the time. And so it seems like the world is getting way worse and way worse. It's just, no, no, there's just more access to knowing just how complicated everything is and how every, every exchange is, is very complex. And, and to be able to sit in the discomfort of that complexity is so important to just be okay. Like I don't have it. We don't have a clear answer on whether we should have iPhones or not, or whether we should share data. We should just, we should talk about it and we should think about it and mm-hmm. just be with it, you know? If only if only we had some way to see, even just for an instant, that we're actually like all inextricably bound together and connected. Yeah, funny, if hey? If only there was something that could help us see that. Yeah, I know. Change our thinking. I don't know. I'll <laughs> let you guys know if I find You guys let me know if you see anything like that because, I don't know, I'm on the hunt for something like that. I'm still looking for Wi-Fi at the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the vegan sex store. I don't know. <laughs> Is there a vegan sex store in the metaverse? Yeah. I'm sure there will be, bro. Will. Oh, I'm yeah. sure there will be. God. Oh, oh man. 
So you asked me about psychedelics. Do you want to go back to that question? Yeah, let's go back and then we can kind of you know wrap wrap things up. Yeah. But um, I think this is an evolving space as it mm-hmm. always has been, and I think um, you know you're a a person that um, you know what you're in the present and you're here, but I think by nature you're also a future thinking person, mm-hmm. um, and you have clarity for for mm-hmm. what that can look like. So. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the future of psychedelics uh, and and in general, like the evolution of the of the human experience. Yeah, well, I, I think with psychedelics, um, w- you know, the big questions are how you know how constrictive can governments be as psychedelics just raise into the mainstream zeitgeist, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like Bitcoin or something. It's like we can try and stamp it out, but what's going to happen? Like we're now, the conversation is out of the bag. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. I think there's a lot of people, you know, I was just in New York at the Horizons conference and there's a lot of people there who would take the mindset that psychedelics should be administered in a medically supervised environment with doctors and this and that and clinics and X, Y, Z. And Basically, let's fit it into the existing architecture we have with academics and with the medical system and all these other pieces. Um, so that's one that's one mode of thinking, and some people are on that. So there's that. I think there's some people that say on, on, on the extreme other end, it's like all of these should just be completely decriminalized. We should just stop telling people what they can and can't put in their body because people are, should have sovereign right to do what they want. And these, these medicines have tremendous tremendous healing potential and we should we got to think much bigger so there's like the de- there's like the full decriminalization there's there's uh there's kind of a middle ground where it says where people will say you know i think these psychedelics are incredibly powerful but they're also they carry with them like just like anything really powerful they have you know a, a sharp edge and we have to be a little careful with them and we and let's let's create some guardrails and let's define some ethics and let's define some um, best practices and maybe there's some certifications or whatever that you need to have to, in order to administer them and let's let's regulate how how you access them um, so there's kind of this like wide variety of people that will think all these different things then there's big corporations that are trying to patent this patent everything and say you can only get psilocybin through us and it's you know there's lots of competing interests here and when I look at the medical and the academic I think they believe they're doing that with good intention. And what I see is it is a lot of people with great intentions. And I see a lot of people who can only see the world through a certain lens and who are trying to reinforce the architecture that they exist within. Right. Mm -hmm. And billions of dollars are funding into universities right now to fund or hundreds of millions are funding flowing into universities to fund, to fund psychedelic research, which is on the one hand, excellent and great to see. And on the other hand, wow, like you look at actually the budgets and how that money just disappears into the ether. It's like, wow, that's a very inefficient way to bring psychedelics to the mainstream market. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, it's like, it's complicated. And I think where I, where I stand is, uh, is, is that, um, I want people to be as informed as possible and to be informed as possible. We just need to disseminate as much information as possible and allow people to make informed choices for themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that some people want to do psychedelics with their friends in the living room and they should have the right information and, and clean, healthy, well-grown mushrooms or whatever else they want. Um, and some people are only going to do psychedelics in a medical facility because that's, 
their mindset. So I think we just need to have broad access and we need to figure out how to do that safely and just to disseminate information and not create a bunch of dogma and not say that there's one way to do this. Like I, I hope the psychedelics basically scale in a psychedelic fashion, meaning like they kind of fractal into the world and they come in and there's, and, and instead of like big corporations owning the psychedelic industry and kind of locking things up, it's like a whole bunch of s small people everywhere in, in their communities, working with their communities. You know, like to me, that's, that would be the ideal situation yeah. is that there's tens of thousands of practitioners working in their communities with their people, with the right ethical frameworks and the right communities of care that they can tie into to learn from and get support from and have the right checks and balances. Kind of going back to how things were, you know, hundreds of years ago, there'd be like a community healer or a well, shaman well, or a druid or whatever. But this is, a, this is a big part of the psychedelics thing that's happening is um, a lot of people are swooping into this space thinking that, oh, these, these drugs are going to like check a box and solve a problem. They're going to solve alcoholism. They're going to solve addiction. They're going to solve uh, depression. Well, drugs don't do that. Drugs plus connection with humans does mm -hmm. that. And like to me, to me, these these medicines like have profound insight to them, but ultimately they create the opportunity for connection. And mm -hmm. if you don't get that, you don't like that's that that's the underlying root of all the issues we're trying to solve with these psychedelics, all the mental health stuff we're talking about. People want to feel connected to themselves and they want to feel connected to others. They want to feel connected to something greater than themselves. They want to feel connected to purpose and meaning. And that's what that's what these these medicines in have the potential to do, but only if we if if they're if they're done in a, in in community, yeah. if they're done in connection with others. So that that to me is what I just hope and keep pushing for, right? Yeah, yeah. I love that. It's that education piece, right? Where if you don't understand something, don't necessarily be afraid of it and try to ban it, block it, shut it down but to like lead with curiosity yeah. and ask questions. And then from the other side of it, if like people are well-versed or have experiential knowledge is to then begin to like share it or listen to the people who are the traditional keepers of it. Right. I mean, yeah. how many more scientific studies do we need to verify? Like what traditional indigenous knowledge has held for a long time. Right. And then we get pay it, millions yeah. of dollars for a study to come through and say, Oh yeah, it turns out like, that was true or that information well, was like verified we're doing that with psilocybin right now and it blows my mind psilocybin has been around in virtually all cultures for thousands of years like it's in some form or another it's been in and out of cultures around the world yeah and 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 so and and now we're we're going through these very expensive clinical trials to show hey you know what it works turns yeah. out turns out it makes people feel better and understand themselves better and it's yeah. safe to put in your body I mean, I guess, I guess we could look at that and say like, that's an old, that's a kind of whatever hangover of colonialism is like, we need to verify that this information is true. And like the, you know, our Absolutely. modern medicine will, will verify it. And, and, and on the other side, perhaps it's also just like what people need now, if they're not connected to like an indigenous community where they have relationship and connection to that tradition, to that teaching and could say, oh yeah, that's like a. Like, yeah, I can trust that source, but someone like, oh, this is coming out of whatever, name the university, the Ivy League University as a study with like all these peer reviews, then you're like, oh, okay, that seemed to me in my Western modern framework, I know, like, that we, seems trustworthy. Yeah, because what you're pointing to, I think, is that like one of the biggest 
challenges that we're we we've we've basically offloaded so much of our responsibility to institutions mm-hmm. to make decisions for us, and you see that across the board. Like, and that's I think a big part of the challenges right now, right? So people have decided to give away their sovereignty in ex- in exchange for somebody to tell them, yeah, this food is healthy, and of course what we're told is healthy changes every yeah. uh, 18 months. I don't know. Like, can we not figure out what's healthy to put in our body for once? Like, but like across the board, this is true. This yeah. is true. So you're right. We're giving away a lot of our, um, our sovereignty and our, our ability to make these decisions. Um, because we don't, we're not present enough in our own lives. Mm-hmm. We want the magic. We want the magic solution. Well, we're all caught on the train of let's go faster and faster and faster and faster. Um, what's super interesting is we think it's going to make our lives way better, but all it does is we have to continue, continually give away more and more of our presence, mm-hmm. um, and, and sort of sell our sell, sell ourselves out for the future because we're moving so fast. Yeah. Interesting. I think this leads nicely to my, to my last kind of big question. And then we like to wrap up with what we're, what we've recently rebranded as random fire from rapid fire. <laughs> um, all, all conversations, you know, they die eventually. And uh, one of the quotes I read on your IG as well is, the secret of life is to die before you die and find that there is no death. And um, you kind of spoke of the God experience, but also mm. the death experience from 5-MEO. Mm-hmm. Can, can you just touch on how 5-MEO and your journey with psychedelics has changed your perception of death and dying? Mm-hmm. I think it's helped me zoom zoom out in a way when you when you leave your body when you let go of your mind fully when you dissolve into these experiences and you can do this on high doses of other substances too other psychedelics when when you when you start to, when you zoom out and you see all of life you realize that your life is just this whatever, 80 to maybe 150 year, depends how good science is, journey. And, um, and so, so this act of dying in the middle of your life, the way I describe it, it's like you get to have this experience where you get to flip to the last page in the book and you get to read the, the last line of the book and then you get to wake up in the middle of the book and decide what, what you want to write, like what you want it to be, right? So you, you get to you get to redefine. And Confucius has a quote. He says, every man lives two lives. The second life begins when he realizes there's only one. So there's these experiences. Like, so you can kind of look at it two ways. One is that you zoom out and you realize, wow, I'm actually part of this whole other thing. And when, when this body that I'm in right now, when this life, this Steve, this guy, when that's over for Steve, who, there's a whole other thing there. You just reconnect back into the, into the matrix, right? And so there's that piece, but there's also the piece of, and how precious is this brief time I have on this planet? And why would I spend it worrying about all the small bullshit every day? Why would I be so consumed about how much money is this project going to make me? And am like when truly like the universe is just conspiring to give us opportunities to explore ourselves and to discover and to be conscious and to help others and so 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 when we can let go of a lot of the yeah just this 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 worry and this overwhelm all the time of 
oh, what about this and what about that and what am I going to do next year? And I'm always planning for this future version of myself that doesn't exist. Mm. When we can get really present and just grateful in this moment, like what a gift that is. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. So good. We spend so much time worrying about stuff that really doesn't matter at the end of the day. And we miss, we miss out on the most important point, point, which is just to be here and to live. Right. And like, I think again, kind of coming back to my just like experiences mm-hmm. in the world of, of like Christianity and how the concept of the afterlife is so big in the modern understanding of like, Hey, you do, do these things and certainly don't do these things. Like, because like eternity's at stake and like that, how, how just abusive that kind of thinking is and how wrong it is. is like the whole point of this life is to escape and go like somewhere in the clouds else. Yeah. or to avoid going and spending all of your eternity in this like bad place. Yeah. Like that is such a fundamental misreading of the whole purpose, which is to be here and to be now. Right. And for, in the Christian tradition, like Jesus, whatever you think about him, historical figure or God, but in that, tradition in that story it's like the god figure shows up here to validate the whole experience yeah right and then is 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 executed and then comes back in case we missed it the first time it's like yo no 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 this is what matters most is like this is here and now and like for love and forgiveness yes right (laughs) oh my gosh and that's the thing even even again like to, to just stick with that story because i think it's again, regardless of what people's belief is like, in my opinion, like it shows beautifully that those two connection things, like even when the powers that be were responsible for his wrongful execution, the two things that he said from his instrument of torture was love and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And then when he came back, regardless of belief and was that possible or whatever happened. But so the story goes is the things that he said the most was love and forgiveness. And like, that's, that is the central message, regardless of belief or anything. Like that's what we all long for and want to move into and occupy and be filled with and give off. And mm-hmm. man, I, uh, I, I did this exercise with my men's group. We, we, we did this exercise to define our principles. It was kind of like defining our values, but we realized afterwards that values and principles kind of interchangeable. But one mm-hmm. of them for me, I just pulled it up. Um, I actually look at it every morning now, but is, prioritize presence, reverence, and curiosity in every interaction. And I rate myself probably about a six out of 10 most of the time on that. Like it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Like when you're having a tense moment about something with your wife or when you're trying to do, get some transaction done and, and, but to like, remember, Oh, this is another human. And when I project, when I create spaciousness for them, spaciousness comes back to me when we are, when I'm, when I'm creating peace in, in my home and in every environment I'm in, then I'm like, then I, then I get to sit in peacefulness, you know, mm. and, and constantly trying to remember that it's sort of like, yeah, these are, these are big, uh, <laughs> just take, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of, um, um, presence to, to do that and a lot of, uh, intentionality and not saying I'm always good at it, but yes. striving for it's that. A, it's the daily, the daily practice, yeah. right? For yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay, I told you that was the last one, but I got one last question from kind of from what you were saying there, and then we can wrap it up with some random fire. I promise, I promise. Um, For those that are curious, um, the state of meditation and mindfulness that 
uh, you speak of achieving through psychedelics. Yeah. Have psychedelics shown you that you can achieve these states without psychedelics? Yeah, hundred percent. And and I, I'm glad I, I'm glad you actually brought that up. After my first five MEO experience, I finally went and did my first ten day vipassana retreat, which is definitely the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but one of the most rewarding. Like tr- oh. truly, like just transformational. What happens when you sit down and try and do nothing for ten days and 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 be, become so aware of your mind and so aware of your body? A tremendous, tremendous experience that I'll do again and again over my life for that's, sure. That's so cool. And like in my five MEO experience, what. I, one of the like one of the things that came to me as I was coming out of it was oh this is why like these monks will go sit and meditate their whole life because they're sitting there radiating in this space in this in this like absolute connection space and and I feel like psychedelics sort of fast track give you this really fast track to to reaching a state of meditation that would otherwise be very hard to even fathom what it is or what because meditation is so hard for people to grasp like what am i doing here like what is it supposed to feel like like am i supposed to feel good because this doesn't feel good like this is hard but but psychedelics really do do kind of accelerate that in a way but i think also for people that like and we also talk all the time with people that come to see us is we are going to give you this peak experience for many of you it's going to be an enlightenment experience it's going to feel like that however it's what you do every day going forward that's actually going to make a difference in your life. You know, like you will have some just, you could have some pivotal shifts in your life just from this experience, but really you need to maintain that connection that you're going to experience. Like we can tap you in, but like, it, like psychedelics kind of are like opening a door and saying, hey, look at that whole world that's on the other side there, but you need to do the walking. And that walking is a continual practice. And so when we talk about integration, of course, there's like the acute integration right after the experience and the days after the experience to make sure that you're figuring out how to re-enter 3D life. Um, <laughs> but but integration is a lifelong process of okay, I can have all these beautiful experiences and I can and understand how important it is to stay connected and da 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 da. But like, can I keep my cool when somebody's being rude to me? Can I show them graciousness? Can I have compassion for myself? Like. That's actually the point here. So I think, and, and, and meditation is a huge step in that process for sure. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Breathwork, I'll say breathwork is also another fantastic way to access these states without substance. So if you're afraid of substances, start with breathwork. Mm-hmm. And if you're tr- struggling with, with meditation, breathwork is also a, a beautiful way to alter your state of mind and to calm down. It's not the same as meditation. Meditation is really training the mind in that at least most traditional meditation, so that's a little different. But breathwork is a beautiful way to have kind of, yeah, to really to really work with the mind and your state of being. I think that's important to know. Like, in my own experiences with psychedelics, they've shown me what's possible. And since then, like, I've achieved states through, even, even through running, you know, I can, I can reach a meditation state Absolutely. or a high Absolutely. that w- might be similar to something yeah. that was brought on by a substance in the past. And, and it kind of shows me what's possible. And, um, you know, a, a place where the human existence can evolve to in a way. hundred percent. And that's something you lead, right? You've done, you've done those workshops like breathwork yeah. 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 So it, we lead, we lead live breathworks, uh, on our property in the summer. Um, but, and we do them in the city in Vancouver. Um, 
we we've done we just did one at Jaybird, um, like a, a really cool yoga studio oh, downtown. That's such a cool studio. Yeah, but we're gonna do more in the new year with them. Um, Sweet. So we'll have more there. You can also find I have a couple breathwork sessions, and over the next couple of weeks, I'm launching two more, but just on on streaming, so Spotify or whatever. Oh, you can okay. just search for me if you search for Steve Rio. You'll find some of my my breathwork sessions. I'll also just plug my my good friends. Um, app because it's fantastic. It's called Othership, and it's oh, yeah. it's probably the best collection of breathworks that, I, that in the world right now. Um, and uh, you can just download it in the app store or whatever. But they've got hundreds of breathwork sessions. Wow. It's kind of like Headspace for breathwork, wow. and except it's way cooler. Cause, the branding is awesome because they're too. just yeah. like very cool people, <laughs> and they're also like they're opening this amazing spot in Toronto that's basically like a social house with this forty-five person sauna. And then cold plunges and a tea house, and they're going to be doing like live performances in this sauna. And, and like this here, Steve. Yeah, don't fit on the West Coast. Oh yeah, man, yeah. no. I know. he's like, you want the license? You got to open the Vancouver one. I'm like, dude, I'm busy. But um, it, I, I bet you they will open one in Vancouver eventually. It's fantastic. It's the idea that you could go somewhere on a Friday night and have like a sober, um, like That's really incredible. fun social experience with your friends and be energized and. Like what a cool experience! Sign me up. Yeah, yeah. that's that's othership. Us. They're dope. That uh, that sounds like a, like an idea of the future. Like the not so distant future. Absolutely. People will be like, you want to go to the bar? I'll be like, no, no, no. Let's go to like the breathwork bar. It's like tu- well, tuning in, so tuning I, out. Yeah. I've really like over this past year, I've kind of realized there's sort of people we're living in the old world or the new world, and there's a lot of people in the middle of that. But the new world, you're starting to see alcohol starting to drop away. Yeah. In a major way, a lot of groups I'm in, like we're just not really drinking anymore. Yep. You just, you know, we, and you're starting to see like these types of experiences and different levels of connection and intentionality and like what we're putting in our body, all these kind of things, the way we're treating one another, the way we're showing up in the world, like that's the new world, and it's been around, but it's evolving fast. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Very cool. Should we do a couple of random fire. Let's we'll, do a couple we'll quick take ones. This other, Let's do it. Other ship. Let's call other ship home. <laughs> take the other ship. Um, for those that want to continue this education, are there any uh, books that are nice places to start, or just like any books that you've gifted a lot to friends on your your human journey so far? Yeah, there's um, there's a whole bunch. Um, first of all, I'd, I'd start with. Uh, other like I I really love Pema Chodron or Pima Chodron. I don't know how people pronounce her. Yeah, name. yeah. She's a she's actually from Halifax. She's a Canadian woman, but she's a, a Buddhist. Um, I believe she's a monk. Buddhist uh, monk. Yeah, she's a monk. Right. Her work is like a fant- a beautiful place to to enter the world. She has a book called When Things Fall Apart. Mm-hmm. And then I believe it's a follow-up book that's called The Places That Scare You. I've got it in my bag right now. I'm like rereading it over and over again. Her work is just a fantastic place to enter the world of, of Buddhist thinking, and it's not it's not religious. It's just it's more philosophical. Um, and then I'm just uh, there's a whole bunch others. Um, Steve, these look I like love. good resources you're scrolling through right now. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't if if when okay. If you haven't read The Untethered Soul or if you ever had, like, Untethered Soul is another fantastic book. Michael Singer. Is Michael that, Singer. Yeah. And to me, that book is a fantastic place to start for people who, who haven't yet realized that the voice in your head is not you, that you are the observation of that voice, and that that separation is where the magic begins to happen in your life and when you begin to be free. Um, and he does a, such a beautiful job of, of summarizing that. Like, that is probably one of the most recommended books I give to people after their first ceremony 
if they haven't already kind of gone through those those pathways you know like it's just it's just amazing um sapiens i feel like every person on the planet should read yes, sapiens you go be, because i i there's a, a lot of people not just young people but a lot of young people who think they know what's going on in the world and they have they just don't understand any history like and i didn't till pretty recently in my life too i never really evolved my education past high school so i didn't really know human history when you when you read the past 5000 years kind of thing the way he summarized it in such a beautiful way it's a really easy read actually it's a really like enjoyable book but man, it just puts everything in perspective, and you see the the macro patterns of humans. And it, to me, it just calms you down. Like it kind of reminds you that actually this is just a process that we're in, and it's just cycling. And mm-hmm. this is just kind of like it was this time and that time, and it's probably going to happen again. And we're just we're just doing our thing here, yeah. you know. So I, I really I feel like that book it should be mandatory reading to me. <laughs> I really love that one. Yeah. yeah. He's a he's a very wise, wise person. Yeah, maybe it's the maybe it's the retreats. Yes, he does the vipassana. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I got a million others, but I think I also really love David White's work. Um, and he has a book. He has a book called "Crossing the Unknown Sea: uh, Work as a Pilgrimage." Mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting book for anybody trying to explore meaning in their in their work and in their livelihood. Like trying to understand like how do I. He just does a beautiful job of connecting our soul journey to our work journey and sort of connecting spirituality to our everyday lives and just exploring what it means to be, you know, because a lot of people feel like, oh, I go to work and I have my work life and then my real life is outside of work. But we spend so much time working, right? Like we're always like, so, so like if we're going to spend however percentage, huge percentage of our lives at work, like we should feel connected to that. And it's a huge part of our, our perception of ourselves and how we show up and how we evolve. And so it's really, and he's like a poet, so it's just beautifully written. Yes. I mean, you're reading these, these paragraphs and you're just like, I feel like I'm on a boat swaying in a, <laughs> in a gentle ocean with him. And it's just, it's so beautiful. Crossing the unknown sea. Yeah, man. I love it. Those are good. There's, there's lots of others. But All right. Leave it there. Um, less, maybe less, uh, character building. Well, maybe not. You talked about being a musician. Yeah. Favorite albums, like top, top couple of albums you would say, give these a listen or what's current on your, you know, whatever service, Spotify or whatever you use. Mm. Well, current, currently I pretty much only listen to like ambient and sort of, uh, like very, very minimal music. So, um, uh, like a lot of John, John Hopkins and, uh, a lot of Alaska, Alaskan tapes and, um, oh man, there's so many artists. I love Steve Hochschild, who's more like electronic, um, a little bit more involved, like really beautiful electronic landscapes. Um, yeah, I'm mostly listening to stuff like in a lot of like piano music, like Yope, uh, Beving and, uh, Nils Fromm and all those kind of dudes and all those kind of people. Um, um, I forget her name. There's a beautiful pianist I've been listening to. But anyway, so I listen to a lot of that stuff. My other love, which I just don't feel like I have time for in my life right now, but is I love rap. Like I love, love, I just love rap. Yeah. And um, so there's a lot of rap artists, but I feel like my favorite albums of all time are like are kind of picked from the different eras of my life or probably, you know, um, Nirvana, uh, 
In Utero. It's mm-hmm. probably one of my favorite albums of all time. Nice. Pink Floyd, uh, Wish You Were Here, and the Dark and the and what's it called, the Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, those two albums were just pivotal, and I come back to those all the time. Um, more modernly, like I love lots of like I don't love like I don't listen to a lot of like the most current rap, but like a lot a lot of current rap. I'd say Jay Z is probably the most listened to artist of my lifetime. Uh, if I had to like if I could pull out and look at the macro Spotify thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. that they send out, nice. it's probably Jay Z. But these days, I just I don't listen to a lot of pop or rap or anything. I'm I'm almost always listening to to stuff because I'm I'm constantly thinking about my nervous system and I'm, I'm constantly sort of just trying to make sure that I'm staying really grounded. Mm-hmm. So right now a lot of like, and I'm so busy with the work we're doing and I'm in service so often that, yeah, like I looked at my Spotify thing and it was just hilarious. It's like all, it's, it's just all um, modern, like neoclassical spirit, like my top five categories or whatever, neo spiritual yeah. or just sorry, neoclassical spiritual um, ambient and, like electronics so there you go yeah all right do you know you want to close her out yeah so we end our podcast with every guest by asking this question we uh we called it a little more good with the intention and hope that that's what we would create and put out in the world by having like these good conversations mm-hmm. with really rad people um but we always like to know from the perspective of you know who's across the table from us what does uh a little more good mean to you steve a little more good um, I think it means just listening to your body and listening to, um, yeah, the space that you are creating with the people around you. Um, one thing I think a lot about these days is, and I, and I was just in New York and it was really present for me there it was how can I be spacious? How can I create space? in every place that I'm in. So how can I create spaciousness for you guys? Mm -hmm. If I'm in a store buying something, how can I just create some space for the person behind the till there working, right? Somebody bumps into me in the the street and they're just in a rush. How can I just create space for that? How can I create space when I'm driving around the city in traffic? How can I create space for my wife or for my mom or my dad or whoever? Like, and I feel like if we were all just, just, just creating that bit of spaciousness, uh, the world would feel really different. That's wonderful. Thank you, Steve. And thank you for sharing space and opening space with us. And we appreciate, appreciate you and the time and energy that you brought. And, and thank you for enlightening us with, uh, you know, this journey that you're, you're on. So look forward to sharing this with with the people out there and uh grateful for your time yeah thanks guys yeah you got it appreciate it all right what do you guys think steve rio it was a that was a that was a a real one real one like i just yeah yeah covered lots of ground i love learning from steve yeah he's got lots uh he's got lots to give lots to offer so many insights I feel feel like you could go any direction with the guy too. Like he's got like valuable, well-read input on like almost every direction. Not Mm -hmm. to give, not to give the guy too much credit. Yeah. He's like, uh, he's a very wise, smart uh, character and it's really a pleasure to sit in his presence and kind of learn from his perspective. Yeah. It's really fun uh, in a conversation when you know, you can kind of jam on like so many different topics and not only is the person willing to 
to kind of go there, but like has something meaningful to offer and like some insight that you can learn. Like that's just such a cool gift to be able to experience that and to ultimately share it is so great. Right. And we don't speak intentionally all the time that way when we get together with friends or people. So in this format, it really lends itself to getting some cool thoughts and ideas. Absolutely. Out planting those seeds yeah i think i want to try five meo i mean right i feel like the phase i'm in with like two young kids it's hard to like um commit to uh ceremony in the degree that ceremony deserves you know like with like overnight probably multiple days of intention like it's hard to get away from family for for that degree of time but uh i'm gonna i'm gonna put it out there to my own universe and <laughs> see if uh, something happens, you know? Yeah. Whether it's this year or next year. I think I'm open to trying it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if you look into it, there's lots of there's lots of articles that have come out recently, um, you know, 2020, 2021 even, and I'm sure probably some already this year, but where people are starting to understand, you know, that psychedelics aren't just something that people take uh, in some sort of um, like recreational way yes. for like a, a fun or like cool experience, but rather it is like uh, it is something that is kind of more transformational. Yes, and is helping people with mental health mm-hmm. and some of the some of the you know struggles that they faced for many many years and haven't found reprieve or solution to, and through some of these types of practices are like really making huge gains in their lives. So it's, it's fascinating to see how in some ways like modern science and, you know, doctors and people who would have been traditionally like skeptical or Mm -hmm. critical or dismissive of this are kind of like opening themselves and that whole kind of like school of thinking to be like, well, maybe there is something like, you know, this is too much of a blanket statement, like like redemptive about these things that can be used as like medicine. Well, what's the fairly new Michael Pollan book on like psychedelics to kind of oh, expand yeah. our, our consciousness? We talked about that. Yeah. Uh, Let's see what the old Google how, was. It how to change your mind? Yes. 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 So, yeah, that's the one. How to change your mind? Uh, the science of psychedelics and consciousness, dying addiction, depression. There you go. Yeah. Maybe dive into that one if you're curious, and and even like thinking about our past podcast with Austin Beatenbeck, like talking about ritual mm-hmm. and the rites of passage. Like for many, for so many cultures, like uh, plant medicine was part of their rite of passage or their rituals, you know, and it was, yeah. you know, it, it was and is very sacred and and full of intention, intention and meaning. And I think uh, you know, there's we've we've lost a lot of that in our, our Western culture of of ritual and and a rite of passage. Mm-hmm. And, um. I think there is some human evolution that we miss and and not having that ceremony, that celebration of 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 ritual and rite of passage, and maybe this can be part of that, yeah, maybe who knows who knows and i mean we're all we're all gonna find our own way, right yes. I think as long as we're seeking and recognizing we're we're on this journey and and walking it you know together but individually on our own path and that kind of like journey of ascent right how yeah. do we how do we get to where we want to be? And what are the things that are going to not hinder, but, but help us or yeah, keep us, keep us on the path. Expand that experience. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a good one. I hope you guys all enjoyed Steve Rio. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, please do subscribe, like, review, wherever you get your podcast. makes a difference for, for us here on the Little More Good team. Uh, yeah, grateful for all of you, and uh, stay tuned for next week's episode. Yeah. More good stuff coming your way. All right. Peace. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.